Our main story tonight is income inequality. A new analysis shows the richest Americans, the top 1%, made nearly 20% of all the available income in America last year. That's the widest income gap since the roaring 20s. The combined trends of increased inequality and decreasing mobility pose a fundamental threat to the American dream, our way of life, and what we stand for around the globe. I believe this is the defining challenge of our time. Let me just say, no one is arguing for complete, perfect equality. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Uh, welcome, everybody, to the Safina Saadi podcast. We have an episode today for you, which we're calling Flat Broke, How Sharia Bridges the Wealth Gap with uh, a special esteemed guest, a brother who I have a uh, ton of respect for. I've invited him uh, one time. Uh, I wish it was more to uh, the New Brunswick Islamic Center. I remember we peppered uh, we peppered this sheikh probably until like 10.30 p.m. with questions, and he had to drive all the way back to New York. But he comes from a pedigree of Muslim academics. Uh, his father and his mother were both from Princeton, and they were. Uh, his father did a uh, dissertation on Muslims in China before anyone else really even was talking about it. Uh, my guest today is Sheikh Taha Abdul Basir. Uh, welcome, Sheikh Taha, to the program. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Wa alaikum assalam wa It's an honor for uh, you to be with us. And uh, before we get into the meat and potatoes of the topic let's turn it over to moin we have moin and naz with us today as you can all tell we have a little bit of a switch up i'm uh, playing quarterback and moin will be my running back today and naz is out on wide receiver so uh, moin why don't you uh tell us a little bit more about sheikh Taha's background for the listeners who aren't familiar Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. Welcome to the Safina Salih podcast. Thank you for joining us. Uh, it's an honor, Sheikh Daha. So, a little bit of background on Sheikh Daha. Um, <clears throat> Sheikh Daha was uh, born and raised in New York City. And um, uh, Sheikh Daha bin Hassan Abdul Basir, he's a, he was a consultant, researcher, and translator um, uh, in the field of Islamic ethics and law. And he was a lead researcher and contributor to the Sharia database, the Harvard Islamic Finance Information Program's electronic database on Islamic financial ethics and jurisprudence. Sheikh Taha has translated and annotated more than 100 ethical legal uh, fatawa on finance. He was a chaplain of the Harvard Islamic Society, former tutorial instructor at Harvard University, former lecturer in Arabic at Boston University, and has served as a Sharia consultant for Fajr Capital, Al-Umran Global Property Fund, the <clears throat> Datestone Group, Assalam Islamic Bank of Canada, White Star Equity Partners, and other financial, commercial, and nonprofit entities. He's received an AB in the Comparative Study of Religion from Harvard College, a certificate in the Advanced Study of the Arabic Language from the Spectra Institute of Language Studies, AM in Arabic and Islamic Studies from the Department of Near Eastern Languages and Civilizations at Harvard University, and is an ABD in the Department of Near Eastern Languages and Civilizations at Harvard University. He's been studying for many, many years and has, been st and has studied traditional Islamic disciplines since he was 17 years old in Yemen and the United States with teachers from the Sudan, the, uh, from Yemen, <clears throat> Tanzania, and Bahrain. He has a traditional license and ijaza uh, from Sheikh Nizam Yaqubi, and he currently resides in New York City with his wife, Monifa Matthew, and their three, three children. So uh, welcome to the program, Sheikh Taha. It's an honor. This is, uh, mashallah, a, a phenomenal background as well. 
It, it is a phenomenal background, Marshall. It's an it's an honor to be with you. May Allah reward you for all the good work you do, Marshall. Amen. 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 Society podcast. Amen. <laughs> Thank you so much. We appreciate your uh, uh, your duas and your time. And now a quest, quick question about reading about Yemen. Was that uh, which which school was it in Yemen that you uh, went to, or or which group did you study with there? Yeah, so it was an opportunity. I think uh, you remember it was, it, was, it was right around the same time because I, I think I actually remember, if not an early communication between yourself and myself, but mm. <clears throat> I think you sent out one of the earliest things, the Talab um, al-Ilm in the 90s, uh, uh, so online was, I think, uh, a sort of early blog post from you talking about uh, what you had experienced. I think that was in the late 90s. Of the oh, yes, it was. Like yeah. two, maybe 2000 or 1999. Yeah, so this is about uh, five years earlier than that. Mm. Um, so Yemen had just, um, you know, there was Northern Yemen and the Southern Yemen. Mm-hmm. They had just come together. And then I was slated to go just for an academic program to study Arabic and fighting actually broke out between North Yemen and South Yemen. Subhanallah. Um, um, and so I couldn't go my, my sophomore year, but then the junior year I, I, at Harvard, I went and that would have been like 95. Mm. And while I was there, I was in, um, you know, uh, uh, there were a lot of, act- there's a lot, had a lot of activity going on. There was Jamit al-Iman. Yes. Um, there were activities at the Rabat mm-hmm. in the South and Hadramaut. Um, but I couldn't go to the South because actually the Qada'a, yeah. <laughs> the tribes in the, in the middle of the uh, country, oh. that given summer, you wow. couldn't take uh, people from the North to the South. The, the program wow. we were with was like, no, we can't take you uh, from Sana'a. We can't take you to the South, the Hadramaut. Wow. So far out, I got to see, I got to see uh, Ta'iz, I got to see uh, yeah. things yeah. in the north. I got to see the dam, of course. Yeah. Um, so, um, alhamdulillah, I got to sit in uh, um, uh, some Halaq uh, al-Ilm in the Masjid al-Zubayr and others of the Masajid in Sana'a. Mm. Um, uh, and it, it was beneficial in them, alhamdulillah. Yeah. It was a great period of time because back in the 90s, that blue passport could take you so far and <laughs> the dollar take you so far in those places. Yeah. And you were safe in those worlds with, as long as you had big blue, now, you know, that passport, of course, everything by Allah's permission. But we were so safe to go around traveling and hip hop, uh, uh, crisscrossing the world, I should say, hopping all over the world. And I remember uh, one brother, Abdul Karim Yahya, showed me his passport one time. And it was like exploding, like you're out of the uh, uh, the bind because of how many ch- countries he traveled to. Yes. And you think about it, subhanAllah, that was we re- we didn't realize we were living in a moment that was safe and yes. and nice and everything. But now it's just uh, um, the places that you can go is far limited. And on top of that, the Internet has beaten us to those places and basically ruined them because back in the 90s, for example, if you went to Fez, Morocco, you went to a different uh, times you went to you went through a warp zone basically. Subhanallah. You were going through it in a different century, but now I met last time someone told me that they went there and they found Eminem uh, music blasting, and it was just um, it's the same world, right? They saw Target bags, right? 
And it's like, yeah. you're going to Fez, Morocco. You don't want to see a target bag. You want to see another world, but that's over. It's all almost one world now. Yeah, that's I like mean, the inst- that's like the instagram world right i mean everybody's just traveling i mean people actually travel to properly travel before or learn things or do things now it's just yeah. you know traveling for the sake of traveling life traveling. is made up of, of these moments and these things and these yeah. yeah that's what the world is and our topic today that we want to get into is a topic many people might think is a political topic it's not political at all they might think it's a worldly topic it's not worldly at all because one of the most amazing things that uh, I remember that when, in the talk that you gave on zakah, and I'm ready, oh, got my notebook ready to talk about the fiqh of zakah, but you actually talked about asrar zakah, the secrets of zakah. And one of them is it makes a person think about two things. Number one, or three things. It makes a person think about where the poor are in your town because you have to give them the money, right? And number two, it makes you count your own money, right? It makes you because people may not have may actually not go years without counting their own money and having assets and uh, and not knowing, you know, how much their uh, fortunes are increasing to. And number three, by doing all this, it forces a person to think of the permissibility, the purity of their wealth and the permissibility of their wealth acquisition. So I think at some point there was even a mention that for the Tajr to, to calculate or to examine a contract and to see if that contract is a valid contract or an invalid contract is greater in the sight of Allah than tahajjud. And I think that someone was like, how is that possible? Well, because that's fart and tahajjud is an afila, right? And the fart is always greater than the nafila. So that really got me realizing that sometimes we flee from the questions related to money. We flee from finances uh, in an incorrect way. Right, because the Quran talks about it as mata'ul ghurur, the allurement or, or or delusion, or a dunya, the lowly thing. Okay, and we hear the Prophet Sallallahu say that if this dunya would weigh the wealth, uh, the uh, weight of a wing's gnat, a gnat's wing, he wouldn't give a kafir of it a single drink. And so we take all this and say, oh, we got to run the opposite way from everything related to money, but in fact, economic activity is lawful and good when directed in the right way, even necessary and obligatory. And when a Muslim treats it as a means and not an end, that's where Allah calls it fadlillah, the, the bounty of Allah. Or al-khair, he calls it al-khair, uh, mentioned twice in the Quran. Or zinat Allah, the beautiful things that Allah has. right? Uh, or at-tayyibati min al-rizq. The good things uh, of, of adornments or food, right? The good, uh, pu- uh, wholesome things of your your risk. So that's the uh, outset attitude that I wanted to take here that Islam uh, is very open that people need to make money and that people have a drive to make money, right? And it seems that it's allowing this within a certain parameter uh, of not losing perspective of the akhirah and knowing that we are still servants of Allah and we submit to his law. So that's my opener. If you want, anyone wants to comment on that, Bismillah, Tafadur. MashaAllah, that's a wonderful point. Mm-hmm. You're correct that um, one of the many challenges that the community is facing, has been facing for a while, is operating in an environment in which there are ideas, impressions, 
ontologies, worldviews mm-hmm. that don't come from Wahi. Mm-hmm. They don't come from the blessed spring of revelation. They aren't indicated by the book of Allah, the Quran. They aren't indicated by the Sunnah, the paradigm of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So, in order to be not just a thinking person, but in order to just function in a way that's consistent with guidance, it's helpful to be able to identify in each domain of human activity what are the prevailing ideas or the prevailing sentiments. What is wahi? <laughs> where do they overlap, and where is the disjunction? Mm-hmm. And you put your finger on a very important one. There are ideas floating in the ether, if you will, about the relationship between ethics or religion or spirituality and money, <laughs> economics. And one of those ideas, which if you're a student of Western intellectual history, it's very easy to put your finger on in the one sense and difficult in the sense that it it's a long running idea, not only in the modern West, but going back to its uh, contributing um, uh, um, civilizations, that there should be a disjunction that money, making money, husbandry, material life, those things belong in one sphere mm-hmm. and the truly spiritual, the truly religious, the truly ethical person mm-hmm. is in another sphere entirely. Right. Sometimes there's a reference to words that are attributed to Isa and Maryam in the in the New Testament, you know, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. But that's just by way of pointing to this recurring theme, which has nothing to do with the teaching of the Prophet Muhammad. It has nothing to do with recurring themes from the Quran. And by virtue of the fact that Allah has blessed us with the Quran as the Furqan and Muhaymin, you can trace it and see that it has nothing to do with wahi and what remains of wahi of all of the Anbiya. Right? Mm-hmm. All of the Anbiya, one of the themes that they reinforce is if you love Allah and if you aspire to Allah's love and to a good outcome in the Akhirah, you must be concerned. Mm-hmm. With matters economic, mm-hmm. you cannot be a good person, a righteous person, a person who's close to Allah, and people are starving next door to you, mm-hmm. starving in your community, and that has nothing to do with it. Yeah, right. You you can't be a godly person. You can't walk with God, to use terminology from the uh, Bible, right? And the society in which you live, the community in which you live, has institutionalized reinforced volume directed from the small group of the wealthy towards the dispossessed. It's not possible. Mm-hmm. Rather, the Anbiya are the opposite. Mm-hmm. They're, they're the best of creation. They're the elite. No person who knows anything about Wahi and has any sense, really, doubts that in terms of godliness, closeness to Allah, spiritual attainment, that they are the closest and the highest. And they are the people, even in what remains in the portraiture of Isa ibn Maryam in Christianity, that it's understood even in other communities who are around the poor, walking with the poor, concerned about the poor, going into the temple, 
and overturning the uh, uh, the tables of the money changers. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are things that remain, even with all the effort that has been, that has come from outside of the so-called Abrahamic um, uh, tradition. Right? These are these are Platonic, Neoplatonic. They are they come from other places. We won't go into right. they come from other places other than Wahi that have come and have been superimposed upon European understanding, in particular of Christianity, mm-hmm. it's clear, and even what remains, that that's not what Yisabin Mani was about, right? It's not what Musa mm-hmm. was about, it's not what Nuh was about, it's not what the Anbiya were about, yeah. right? There's a reason that Zakat is one of the Sha'aya, one of the prominent rights and practices by which the deen is known as such, mm-hmm. right? There's a reason that Hajj is described by the ulama when they're describing the asra, the secrets of Hajj, that it's uh, it's an amal which is badani, it involves the body, mm-hmm. right? But it's also mali, it involves mm-hmm. wealth. You, if mm-hmm. you're not concerned with how you make it, mm-hmm. how you maintain it, do you have it? You can't discharge the responsibility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There are ahkam and adab and secrets asrar associated with those two and others mm-hmm. that make it clear to anyone who reflects upon the Book of Allah and the Sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi that if you want to draw close to Allah, you need to be concerned about what the wahi means within this domain that in our tongues we call economic and financial, yeah. and not let the prevailing ideas that Money, what you do is a hard-nosed, mundane, clear-eyed, unsentimental thing that you do. Mm-hmm. And then religion and spirituality is a sort of ethereal thing that you do some other place. Because yeah. that dichotomy leads to failure. Which in is uh, akhira, May Allah save you and me and all of the Muslims from it. Amen. Amen. And before we get to Naz, I just want to say that it's one of the biggest... Uh, bid'a or innovations in that has come upon um, maybe a, a Christian tradition more than the Jewish tradition. <coughs> um, probably even maybe even worse than monasticism because when you leave and you remove from a religion any financial element to it and you don't basically say this is okay to do and engage in and this is how to engage in it or B, uh, governance and warfare uh, in the name of purity, spiritual purity, what ends up happening is that those voids will get filled and they will get filled with something that was greatly damaging to the spirituality that you were trying to preserve. So one of the worst things for Christianity, for example, is World War One, World War II, which made people so disillusioned with that. And I remember a scholar once saying, if they had had a law on how to have conflicts, then there wouldn't have been a void in which the conflict became becomes an all-out you know conflict that consumes the entire continent and demoralizes people and and causes them to basically to lose their faith and anyone who knows you know sort of the history of of belief in atheism in Europe that it's world war 1 and world war 2 were the right hook and the left hook uh to belief and people started losing their faith so that's where you don't address a, a natural a, a need of human beings something that does happen uh we can't deny that it happens whether it's conflict or trade or the even the ambition to make money uh if you don't address it and put it in somewhere productive then you open up a void 
and something negative is going to come in there and damage that purity that you were trying to have. So, uh, Nas, you had something to say? Yeah, you know, I was just going to um, ask actually two questions. Um, mm-hmm. And the first of those is, I just want to come from the perspective of, let's say, a person from the West, right? That doesn't have the, the light of belief, so mm-hmm. to speak. And I'm, I'm just role playing here. Um, the main issue with them is that, well, they'll say that, that economics is, isn't really concerned about morality. It, it's more so concerned with, with a naturalistic idea of how human beings are supposed to be. You know, human beings are uh, creatures that only care about, uh, you know, getting more, right? So how can we create a system that uh, maximizes their, this desire for them to get more? It, it isn't necessarily really about morality, so they would say, right? And the second thing that they would say is that look, look at the system that we've created, and how much wealth it's produced, and how the entire world now, I guess, more or less has to follow that system, right? So it's, it's clearly that, you know, it's very, very successful. So, you know, what, uh, what, uh, why should we, cons- be, we be concerned about sort of the <coughs> spiritual aspect of wealth and, you know, uh, uh, thinking about economic questions from a spiritual perspective? You know, it, we've been doing good so far, they would say. So well, how would you respond to that uh, issue? Well, I'll, I'll just give it f- something first because it, re- it leads exactly to, to our first Roman numeral here topic is that Islam is always an interdisciplinary, so to speak, uh, uh, a religion that all the disciplines are intertwined. And um, the short answer of that is that uh, there can be no answer to that without first assuming or establishing the existence of a creator. All right, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which leads us to the next point is that you had mentioned the creation of wealth. Well, the second point that we have to discuss is creation, uh, wealth is a created thing, and its owner is its creator. And its creator is Allah, its owner is Allah. And that is that this, this important point of wealth being the property of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So before we get that, we can get to uh, Sheikh Taha's thoughts on, on what Nas said. Yes, those are excellent questions, and that is an excellent response. Maybe the second question first, right? So one of the themes of the Book of Allah, by which here I'm referring to something like one of its ma'ani, as that term is used by, for example, Sheikh Izzuddin ibn Abdul Salam, and is a qawa'ad al-ahkam, or shajarat al-ma'arif, by which he means one of the themes of the Qur'an, that a person who does tadabbur of it and who's gifted with understanding of it understands and sees repeated again and again. One of the themes of the Book of Allah that is perhaps most manifest when talking about uh, the Pharaoh of the time of Musa and the uh, institutions um, who disbelieved and people who populated in- institutions of power disbelieved around them is that looking at uh, the apparent success of a person, a group of people, or institutions, or themes, or philosophies in the dunya, and deducing therefrom that they are successful with a capital S, Mm. and worthy of mimicking and emulating and using as a paradigm, and expecting that that type of reasoning results in success in the dunya, and in the akhirah, is faulty, right? And no aqil, no 
sane, thoughtful person, not to mention someone who has a higher level of understanding of the book. So the no akil should make that mistake, right? Mm -hmm. Because uh, uh, right? actions are, the reality of actions are how they end. And the end of Pharaoh is in the water, drowning, claiming right. to be a believer, but having that statement rejected from him. Mm. That's mm -hmm. his reality. Mm -hmm. And his reality is actually described in greater detail, right? Leading his people every single cycle in the hellfire to be the targets of imprecations from the malaika who are uh, um, the guardians of the fire. As one of the people, the awa'el, the earlier people, that other people emulated, mm -hmm. you know, like the people of the Babylonians and others, what have you, from whom many of the wrong-headed, disbelieving uh, practices of people who came after them come. They're also cursed by people who come after them, mm. right? So that cycle, the cycle of having apparent success associated with volum, because Allah has sealed the heart of the person and opened the dunya to them so that they feel in their horror that what they're doing is even better and they're sure and short certain more and more certain of that mm -hmm. and the people who are following them are more and more certain of that that's a state of la'ana of distance from Allah's rahmah that again every single sound believing person I'm talking about the awam I'm not talking about someone who has a deep understanding of the deen every single person who reflects on the book and the sunnah asks Allah to save them from that state not to mention actually imitating it yeah, so we're all Muslim. So anyone at any given time pointing and saying, we're at the top, you know, this is our material uh, achievement. This is our institutional achievement. This is our cultural achievement. That's not a convincing argument for us mm -hmm. because there are people who relative to their competitors had even more dominion in the past. Mm -hmm. And those people are mansus alayhim. They're explicitly mentioned in the Quran as losers, khasirun, with a capital L. Mm -hmm. So we don't fall into that trap. As for the first answer, and that's very good, um, outside of the critique that uh, the Fukaha and thinkers in the post-colonial reality in the late 1900s and throughout, particularly in the first and then the second half of the 20th century, directed towards um, Western economic norms within the um, uh, modern Western postmodern um, uh, intellectual circle circles. There's a critique from outside of economics of economists for not being sufficiently aware of the ontological, epistemological, that is the philosophical underpinnings of economics. Mm -hmm. Now that's been, um, it doesn't apply now as much as it did maybe even 10 or 20 or 30 years ago. But philosophers, um, intellectual historians, I'm talking about in the, in the academic tradition, used to laugh at economists about the fact that they don't realize that before you begin to speak about the things that are their starting point, you have an idea of what is human being, what's the purpose mm -hmm. of life, what's the relationship mm -hmm. between human being, <laughs> human beings and the resources in the created world. There's an ontology there. What mm -hmm. is that ontology? Mm -hmm. If you don't accept the ontology, if you don't accept 
the etiology, if you don't accept the epistemology, then it's not only possible, but it's expected that you might arrive at different ideas about the basics mm -hmm. of an economic theory, not to mention the secondary matters that flow uh, therefrom. So yes, homo economicus, <laughs> right? You know, the economic man, you know, the assumption that people are primarily concerned with gathering as much as they can and they're in competition and people are selfish by their nature and resources are unlimited or they're limited and it's sentimental or just not not acceptable to consider ethical considerations it it goes to the question of to what extent is the economic theory or economic understanding that you're dealing with informed by a worldview of Weltanschauung and um, um, a set of philosophies. And should we talk about those before we talk about some other things? The that's answer is yes. Yeah, yeah, that's, a, that's, that's totally. So the summary being all discussion of economics is a fara or a branch from ontology and epistemology, right? And also back to another thing, Naz, is uh, back to your question is that um, the real question is not that, okay, we're on top. So and teleology, our, right? Teleology, and, and what, yes. what's the, what, I mean, you know, where are we taking things? Yeah. <laughs> where, what's the purpose of, of, of doing things? Exactly. And eschatology, mm -hmm. even though, I mean, people, you know, that, that might be a, a, a bridge too far mm -hmm. for most materialists, but you know, we have, to, yes, we consume and we eat and we destroy here. Yeah. What are the consequences in the next world? Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, so I, I'd like to ask a couple of questions just to uh, just to back up a little bit and sort of unpack some of these five syllable words. You know, the the ontological uh, underpinnings of of economics. So, <clears throat> uh, 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 of, uh, I, I, I'm sorry, I wasn't going to go there, but no, 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 I get it. I get it. Chadi, although he, <laughs> he has his fourth metaphor, <laughs> is uh, uh, northeastern um, uh, um, real talk approach. He is. He does have academic background, right? So he's I, I get things. I, I Nas is a philosopher, so <laughs> we're mentioning <laughs> things. This is what he was referring to as well. So I mean, we, we no, have I understand. To be clear. But, right? but, but we're, when, we're not just people who are saying, oh, this is an area we want to inject Islam into this area as well. No, yeah, for sure. We're going to live and we're going to build communities and we're going to we're going to build a civilization which is true to the things that we understand to be the lights upon which all of our activity are based revelation. Mm -hmm. Then it would be silly to think that when it comes to this area, economic activity, other than the broadest do well, don't do good. Mm -hmm. that, that, that there's there's no guidance there. There certainly is guidance there. Yeah. And the guidance is not only specific, oh, we need to give a portion of our funds to the um, uh, the needy, but there are principles, there are understandings that underpin our approach to this, this area of human activity. Mm -hmm. No, for sure. I mean, uh, what I really wanted to ask is, you know, you talked about the, and, and I, I know we'll get into it more, but when when I think about it, as if if I speak for the layman here, is when you talk about the epistemological underpinnings of economics and where economic theory comes from. Uh, when it comes to the modern world, um, 
people really are not thinking about these deeper concepts of, of, of where, uh, you know, these philosophies and theories are coming from. When it comes to the, the common man, they understand really the, a, a spectrum. You either have, you know, uh, Jeff Bezos on one side and you have greedy capitalists and you have, you know, Marxists, you know, socialists on the left. Uh, and that's really what the common man understands. They're not thinking from a, and and these philosophers, let, let's take take a philosopher, Adam Smith, right? Uh, the you know their core principles, even Marx, their core principles were based on human, uh, you know, um, movements across across the world, right? And, and so, the, if they didn't have underpinnings and and um, of, of where they're getting their knowledge from and how they're defining what it means to be a human. What are the wants of a human? What are the needs of a human? These things are all based on something, right? And I mm -hmm. think that's what you're really talking about is the ontological and the epistemological uh, underpinnings of these things. And I think that's where Islam comes in and, and it says, okay, you can't have economic theory unless you can understand what a human being is. Mm -hmm. Right, right, and and, and, and uh, I think that's where you were trying to go, right? And and not only that, I would also actually add that people's economic behavior is going to have uh, possibly a greater impact on their belief than and than even their religious behavior, Makes because sense. economic behavior is something you do all the time. So you're reinforcing a a, a, a premise, you're reinforcing an assumption, right? Uh, whereas religious worship happens far less than uh, commerce, I think, right? Like people are tended to be engaged in commerce more than they're engaged in, in worship and studying theology. So uh, that's where uh, Islam comes, brings something where the Quran, which is uh, recited aloud, you know, multiple times a day and studied constantly. So it's it's not just in a classroom. It's recited in, recited all the time by in Salah has in it ayat that are go to the heart of that foundation. And the specific ones that I want to get to regard the ownership of wealth. Because if we keep repeating who's in charge here, who owns this wealth, right? In what way is he giving it to us, right? Uh, what is that relationship? If we keep constantly repeating that through liturgical, which means like constant recitation and worship, right? then it really becomes part of our in our bones and this is very important what what moin just said is something that the common person would never think twice of but yeah maybe a muslim will never think twice of economic philosophy but he knows the book of allah and he knows that allah said we created this wealth and we gave it to you right so the reality of that question of the philosophy of wealth is already embedded in every muslim who is exposed to the Quran. And this is where I want to turn it to Sheikh Taha. Could you talk to us about the, uh, the ownership of wealth and its, its uh, I guess you could say, distribution of its ownership to human beings from the perspective of Quran and Hadith? Yes. So, I mean, these are these are, are, are crucial points. Just um, before I do that, if I might, to mention a very important uh, issue, Fa'idah, mm -hmm. point that you just mentioned. Um, um, uh, pertaining to um, the frequency with which we concern ourselves with matters economic or matters financial. Mm -hmm. right? um, it, it, it's well known that uh, um, 
one of the um, uh, 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 principles of Saluk mm-hmm. is that dhikr of Allah Azzawajal, mm-hmm. which in general is associated with the tongue, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is uh, this, this muscle that we move quite quickly, mm-hmm. and that unless we're careful, we move without necessarily putting something virtually between it and between the heart mind, mm-hmm. right? Because it's associated with passions and desires that drive us to speak that often for the unrefined and the undisciplined overtake the better part of a person that would say, okay, maybe you shouldn't say this, or maybe you should mm-hmm. say that differently, what have you. That the tongue, and similarly, you know, our sexual desires and what have you, right? Because it's also associated with a very strong and base, profound desire that's part of our, our creation. Mm-hmm. That is control over these two things, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. That the Messenger وسلم, said is associated with Jum- success. Yeah. You mm-hmm. grab this tongue, this blessed tongue, whoever safeguards for me this and what is between his legs, mm-hmm. I give him a guarantee of the of the of the Jannah. The ulama have said in the Sharh of the Hadith, it's because of the passions associated with yes, tongues, okay, both of you put comes out of it and also what you eat that comes within. Mm-hmm. And so it's because it's associated with a passion. Mm. Are there things that people are more passionate about, perhaps after the natural attraction between the male and female, than their stuff and their possessions? That's it. And Allah Azawajal, in uh, a set of meanings associated with the statements that you know we could spend the rest of this talk and we could write an entire tome about. Allah mm-hmm. goes to the very heart of the spiritual and psychological attachment that people have to stuff. Making it very clear that if you aspire to get closer to Allah, mm-hmm. Allah make, lays it straight out. You, you will never achieve their righteousness, piety, until you spend of that which you love. Mm-hmm. So the love and the attachment that human beings have to stuff is a part of being human. Mm-hmm. Right? So the Prophet ﷺ said, that it's the nature of Ibn Adam. He said, if, Ibn Ad, if Adam, the son of Adam had two wadis, two valleys full of gold, mm. he would want a third. SubhanAllah. So this craving, this desire for more stuff, mm. it's something that's very deeply inscribed in what it means to be human. Mm. Right? Okay. Trying to create a society consisting of a billion, a civilization system of a billion people which is completely, absolutely free of any attachment to stuff. Never going to happen. Might not be practical. Yeah. Right? But institutionalizing practices that make it very clear in every single thing that you do. We're not talking about on the greatest level in envisioning an ummatic uh, enterprise in which we have to answer questions as to whether or not the ummah and there's a and there's a khilaf and can they borrow, can they not borrow. I'm talking about how do you feed your family? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're a peddler. You sell things. You have to decide. You have a corner store. You're from Yemen. You're from whatever. Do I have 45 liquors in my corner store? Mm. Do I have uh, pornographic uh, magazines in my corner store? Why? Why don't I? Mm. Right? The stuff I get for it from the people is cash. 
They pay cash for vegetables. They pay cash for this. Cash is cash. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Right? Mm-hmm. And if I allow my nuffs to get the upper hand on me, I can find someone who tells me that's okay. Or I can find and uh, I can twist this ra'i or this paul or lots of what have it tells me this, this is okay. Right? Mm-hmm. When we know that the ulama in general have agreed that it's a principle of filth, that anything, the consumption of which, or the use or utility of which is impermissible, the price resulting from the sale of that thing is also impermissible. That's a qa'ida in filth. Mm-hmm. I have you, right? I can't eat it. I can't drink it. I can't make money from selling it. Mm-hmm. That's a qa'ida. Yeah. That does have exceptions, but that's, that's, that's the reality. So, yeah, I mean, you, you um, gentlemen, as is normally the case, you put your finger on the very heart of the matter. Mm-hmm. The um, 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 uh, ulama have made it clear that when it comes to stuff, gold, silver, um, uh, uh, cattle, mounts, material, mm-hmm. that since Allah Azawajal is al-Malik, Allah is the owner, Right, he's in Ma'ati, he's the one who gives. That the, the real core of the relationship that we have with stuff is caught up inside the recurring theme of Amana, and that's what mm-hmm. they mention over and over again. And that's a recurring theme, right? So, more about it's less about the fact that you know I was able to get to the forest first and cut down wood, so it's mine, it's not yours. Let us be very clear that Sharia takes milk ownership on the level of human beings very seriously, very seriously. The Prophet mm. ﷺ, he said, when in the well-known um, uh, um, riwayah associated with his khutbah al-rida, in 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 one love, he said he asked the people, "What day is this?" And they tell him, that, "You know, it's the uh, uh, it's the uh, it's the tenth uh, uh, hajj. What place is this? You know, it's outside of Mecca. And so what have you? Because he wants to reinforce it. This is very important to the people. Mm. People know it. Even people prior." to the, uh, the ba'ath of the Prophet وسلم, the Arabs uh, of the time. This day, this time is held in high regard by the Arabs across the peninsula, mm-hmm. right? right? Mm-hmm. So then he lets the people know, so indeed he's going to speak about some things that are more sacrosanct than this day of yours in this place of yours. Mm-hmm. And among the things he mentions are not only the blood of people, but also the mahadam, the things that are inviolate lines that you cannot cross. Mm-hmm. And those include the stuff that people have. Mm-hmm. Not because the stuff is so important. It's not because the stuff is so important, right? It's because if there's no respect for property rights amongst human beings, then we have chaos. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't function. Mm-hmm. Nothing works, right? Mm-hmm. That's why a person... Uh, whoever's killed in the, after Minduna uh, Malihi, right? Mm-hmm. He's killed in protection of his uh, stuff, is so has he, shahada. Yeah. So so we have to separate two things. This is you mentioned, right? The fact that the the overweening attachment that human beings have to things is unjustified because the dunya and all that's in it is almost as though it has no weight compared to the things that people are prepared to give up for it. Mm-hmm. That is achieve, achieve, achieving nearness to Allah, achieving a, um, a good outcome 
um, from uh, Allah, right? But the property rights that people have, the Fuqaha have been very clear. Mm. You should not feel comfortable leaving the dunya not safeguarding property rights, money that you owe to someone, mm. having not given someone who should have received an inheritance share um, a sister or someone and, and taking it over, having um, um, been fraudulent with this business partner. And, you know, no one should feel comfortable leaving the dunya in that way, right? Because it's not the um, the stuff. It's the fact that Allah Azawajal has said that this is a line that you don't cross between mm-hmm. us. And by being cavalier and crossing it, it's not the worth of the stuff itself. It's what it means that you actually feel towards mm-hmm. the one who put the line and said, don't go here. Yeah, It's yeah. disrespect. Which is very similar to his, to his saying, uh, exactly. When we slaughter exactly. at Hajj. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, Ahmed al Khattab was asked, when you're sitting among with other seniors, the kibar of the Sahaba, um, and he was asking, you know, what is taqwa? <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? Asking for them to, diff- these are people, subhanAllah, the preeminent among Sahaba, what, what is taqwa? And, and one of the Sahaba mentioned, you know, he said, you know, well, if you were going through a patch of mm-hmm. thorns, how would you proceed? And then mm-hmm. the other, he said, you know, I would take my clothing and I would hold it close to me so I didn't get caught up. Mm-hmm. What have you. He said, taqwa. That's taqwa. Taqwa is moving through space and time mm-hmm. in such a way that there is a concern that what you do, what you don't do, is not going to push you back from mm-hmm. Allah. Or is likely to cause you to move forward. And that applies to every aspect of human existence, Mm -hmm. including this aspect that we want to wall off and call economic Economic. or financial. So amana. So every person is an amin with regard to the things that are his. Mm -hmm. It's less a matter of his controlling it and being an absolute controller, right? And arrogating to himself. Godhood, subhanallah, but it's the fact that Allah Azawajal has given him al-mu'ati, something, and vis-a-vis that, he has an amana, mm-hmm. and the amana has to be discharged by every single amana, right? Like every single, all the amanat, right? Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that, that, we, that we give amanat back to ahliha, to the people to whom they're due, that's basic. That's one of the basic principles of, of, of deen. So that um, uh, um, uh, um, um, is, is, is what governs the way we respond to things. Then that we use the stuff that's given us in order to take care of the needs of people, right? In, in, in the dunya, right? A person who, um, uh, um, uh, uh, who goes to sleep and his neighbor is hungry, that person hasn't achieved the fullness of iman, mm-hmm. right? And the fullness of iman here is... The, the prophetic uh, phraseology that the ulama say refers to itmam al-iman is the phraseology is la yu'min mm, <laughs> that he doesn't believe right but the ulama explained that means you know he hasn't achieved an iman that can be described as not being associated with some nuqsan some sort of yeah. defect mm-hmm. right so that statement from the messenger sallallahu ties what you were talking about before and what the other asati that we're talking about <clears throat> iman and being concerned about whether or not your neighbor is hungry, the Messenger Sallallahu has linked them in a way that no one can ever mm. separate them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Subhanallah. 
whoever goes to um, Shara'an, his, his stomach is full and his neighbor is, is hungry. That mm -hmm. makes it super clear. Mm -hmm. right? When the law also is describing those of whom he's pleased, right? Mm. Right? Not the people who've, 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 he doesn't mention people who've, who've, who've seen lights of these colors or that colors or who've uh, achieved, you know, stage 10,749 mm -hmm. on the mystical ride, what have you, <laughs> right? All of those realities and haqqaiq, what have you, they are what they are, what have you. Mm -hmm. But because it's not only in this civilization, the other civilization, it's a reoccurring theme among human beings that they like to talk about ethical and religious achievement. But when it gets down to the ground, they like to separate that mm -hmm. from economic justice. Mm -hmm. Allah Azza wa Jal reinforces that there's no way to actually achieve one without being concerned about the other. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Moin. Uh, 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 actually, before you make that point, I just want to make a quick point about what we had just said about the interdisciplinary nature of everything in Islam is that one thing that you had mentioned is that the desire for stuff and the love of money is so deep within the human being, in the soul of the human being, which uh, really tell, tells us that it's not just a bunch of laws and the force of human beings that will rectify it and make human beings act well, but it's something far deeper than that which is a conviction and you can say a spirituality, which is where, in fact, uh, a religious spiritual teaching is even equally or more appropriate than laws in this respect, civil uh, you know, societal laws or what have you. You need both sides. And we all know that, for example, a person could know all the laws. Well, if they have no discipline and no sense of desire to, to obey them, you can equally find uh, uh, loopholes around them uh, much easier than there were to make the laws in the first place. And, and fact, the reverse, since it's yeah. closest to the scenario that many of us live in, mm -hmm. right? <clears throat> in which we are aware of some the the religious teachings and the ethical mm -hmm. teachings, but because of the colonial and post-colonial reality, mm -hmm. the practices and institutions, mm -hmm. judge, contract, law, what type of uh, transactions are permissible? What are, are not permissible? They need to be practiced. They need to be adopted. They need to be modeled. We need mm -hmm. to favor them, prefer them. We need to develop um, um, positive reinforcement for people who adhere to them. We need to develop negative reinforcement, mm. something which is not a very um, a, a nice idea and very well accepted in all areas of our community. But yes, mm -hmm. negative reinforcement mm -hmm. for people who violate them, right? Yeah. It, we shouldn't be at ease with aql riba. Yeah. <laughs> we shouldn't be at ease with uh, fraudulent mm -hmm. those type of people shouldn't be favored for the yeah. people to whom we marry our daughters mm -hmm. uh, uh, uh right they shouldn't be the people to whom we point and say oh how wonderful that person you know he, he graduated from such such a place and then he's working at morgan stanley and he's been with them for 15 years and now he's a vice president what have you, you know this is one of the leaders of our community these things have consequences they have they had consequences for the people right uh, mm -hmm. we, we, we read the ayat in Surah Al-Baqarah, which are in condemnation of the people of the book. But as the ulama have of tafsir have told us, the ayat blaming the people of the book and those who have gone before us, their primary, the primary fa'id associated with the double of them mm -hmm. is that we not follow them. <laughs> yeah. 
not mocking them. Yeah. Right. Because they've us. gone, they've gone past already. Right? Mm-hmm. So if people, we live amongst people who mm-hmm. had in their book, even though it remains in teaching about usury and riba, we should be fair. As detailed as as in, in some ways as what we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and the rabbinical teaching and the canonical canonical law and the church and what have you are clear about these things. But they found ways to convince themselves and others mm-hmm. and say it no longer matters, what have you. It can be done. Mm-hmm. It's crucial that we not follow them on that. Crucial. Mm-hmm. Because once you take certain steps, Allah Azzawajal can bring you back. But the Sunnah of Allah Azzawajal said it's very difficult mm-hmm. to get back. Uh, and I, I came upon this uh, uh, discussion in which someone said, why is there so much fiqh? in you know certain times and certain societies and you know so much so much law in certain societies and less law in other societies and so much fiqh amongst the latter generations and much less in the early islamic generations and they said that in fact law and piety the amount of law books and piety it's an inverse proportion because when you have a lot of piety you don't need a lot of law because not a lot of stuff comes up but when you don't have a lot of piety, you have a lot of people doing a lot of things and a speech, a reminder about afterlife will not move them. So you need to make a law, right? This is a good point. Yeah. It's also true that, you know, it, there are other factors involved as well on um, yeah. the actual circumstances in which you exist, right? I mean, we, it's been mentioned, right? The, the early Christian community um, had challenges associated with being a despised minority Mm-hmm. Um, set upon by the prevailing um, political power of the time. Mm-hmm. The Jewish community has had a reoccurring theme of being you know, a despised minority and having times during which they do not control a political uh, state and don't have what would be called self-determination in political science and mm-hmm. other places. The Muslim, the, the, this ummah was responsible for a vast and increasingly sophisticated Polity, <laughs> right? An, an mm-hmm. economy and a, a political entity from the, its very beginning, mm-hmm. right? So when you expand and you expand into northern Africa or you expand into the cradle of human civilization in Mesopotamia, what have you, and people have highly sophisticated financial mm-hmm. practices, questions will arise, mm-hmm. arise naturally. Is yeah. this permissible? Is that permissible? Mm-hmm. What are the conditions? What have you? Mm-hmm. So the fiqh and, and, and the Prophet Sallallahu was a, a involved in tijarah himself. Mm-hmm. So the Muslims had no confusion about the fact that you can be a pious person and be involved in tijarah. Mm-hmm. Right? Al-bay' shira and other cognates of those words appear hundreds of times mm-hmm. in the book of Allah. So then the people, because one of the primary themes of the Quran is, of course, <clears throat> is bayan right? so people must understand the Quraysh are traitors yeah that's mm-hmm. what they know yeah. so using mercantile language mm-hmm. buying and selling mm-hmm. who will loan to Allah a beautiful loan mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. these are terms that the people that, that they lived they knew mm-hmm. right yeah um, what have you so that's why it's crucial and we live in a society also in a time in which even the least of us economically is involved in 
you know, tens, maybe hundreds of transactions every single day. Debit, you want to transact, think about having something. It's not possible for us not to be concerned about knowing what is the hukum of Allah with regard to these things. It's not possible. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking in the brothers. Have, uh, excellent questions. No, no problem. Nas, what do, what, what do you got, Nas? So I was going to, uh, I mean, th that was a great overview by uh, Sheikh Baha and uh, you, Dr. Shadi, on the, the importance of, you know, marrying the spiritual and the, the economic planes, right? Um, but the, the question that I have is, what's the purpose of distribution, right? Like, what's the purpose of distribution, number one, and how do you do the, the uh, fairly distribute the wealth uh, according to the Islamic Sharia? Because it seems to me that uh, in every single society in human history, you've had inequality, right? And, and the, the socialist and the Marxist fiction is that somehow we can, uh, we can have zero inequality, we can rip apart all types of hierarchies and structures and make everybody flat and make everybody equal. But, but the fact of the matter is that this, this, at least from my perspective, it doesn't seem at all practical, right? So what's the purpose of, the, of distributing wealth in Islam? Is it to eradicate all of these hierarchies that we have? Uh, is it to just, is it to acknowledge that there are hierarchies, right? But to make the situation much better for people, despite those obstacles in their in their path, like what what is actually the purpose? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna start off with that. But Moin, yeah. So my my question is actually not really another question. It's actually this. It's it's a similar question to Nazmo's. Um, but as you answer his question, I, I really want to understand because you you did talk about property ownership, right? Yeah. And and wealth and and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala creating wealth and giving property ownership. So on top of sort of uh, uh, Naz's question is the question is how do we understand property ownership in Islam, right? Is it like an absolute? Uh, property ownership, the way, you know, capitalists think about it. It's like, okay, I purchased this car. This car is absolutely mine. Um, mm -hmm. I can, I can take a hammer to it, destroy it, do whatever I want. You know, if I, if I buy a Tesla Roadster tomorrow, I put it on my driveway and then I take a hammer to it. Nobody has any right to tell me, you know, that, you know, I can't do that. Maybe, you know, maybe car enthusiasts won't like that, but it's my car. I can do whatever I want. Um, how does Islam understand property ownership on top of this, you know, system, uh, the, 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 the Marxist story and the system that the, the question that Nas had as well. So that, that's where I wanted to go. Uh, good point. And uh, the, the one area that came to my mind when Sheikh Taha talked about amana being the theme word. Uh, amana means a trust. You're entrusted. So something is not yours, but you are entrusted with it. And in this area, Allah says, Give them this ayah is just, it's literally like one, two, three, four, five, six words, but it has so many themes in it. Number one, Kitab Allah. Yeah, subhanAllah. Uh, number one is that it says, It's Allah's wealth. He owns it. However, He gave it to you. Right? So we, unlike capitalism and unlike socialism, socialism uh, almost wants to take away a lot of elements besides consumer goods of human ownership of wealth. Capitalism observes an absolute ownership, whereas Islam, uh, the truth, finds itself actually in the middle where you're not the owner, but you're allowed to utilize it and exploit it. But how? You have to remember that the rights of wealth, uh, the, the true uh, heirs of wealth are not just the producers of the wealth, but also 
those whom Allah has commanded you from, and we can glean that from the word, he's telling you, give them, right? And so the two themes here is that it's amana that Allah is giving uh, us ownership. We're allowed to have ownership. It's not ours, but we're allowed to have ownership. And because it's not ours, it makes sense in my mind that I can be told what to do with it by the real owner. And it's fair. So the second point being that um, who has the right to wealth? And both socialism and capitalism, they're both actually in the same set here, is that they, they are only talk about the producers of wealth. Okay? So uh, cap, uh, capitalism is capital, it's labor, it's land, and it's uh, the entrepreneurs. In socialism, it's the laborer. And the other three are the collective. But Islam comes and says, no, no, no. There's a second category of a rightful owner of wealth, which is namely that the rightful owner of wealth is the producer and those who have been assigned the obligation to receive that wealth, which is the recipients of zakah, nafaqah. And we'll, we can, I want to get to that point later. But I just want to highlight it, highlight it now uh, because we are going to come upon it later. It's a very important concept that socialism and capitalism only limit the rightful owners to producers of wealth. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Islam, it's producers of wealth and whom the real owner of wealth, Allah, has told you to give money to. Nafaqa, which is paying for your family. Uh, mirath, inheritance. Zakah, kafara, all that. Ashr, which is crops from the farm, dry goods from the farms. So we're going to cover that later. Now, the next section we want to get to is what Nas opened up. So, Nas, I want you to repeat your question. Then I'm going to give a, a short two-second blurb, and then Sheikh Taha will take the commentary from there. So the to, just to repeat the question again, uh, the question was, what's the purpose of the distribution of wealth in Islam, right? In, in, in American society and other societies, whenever we talk about distributing wealth, right, or distributive justice, let's say, it's always collecting taxes, to give back to the public or do do some of these things, right? From the Marxist view and from the socialists or democratic socialists, what they want to do is they want to completely eradicate hierarchies, right? The, the radical Marxists, right? Because hierarchies by themselves are unjust inherently. Mm-hmm. Um, and why, what they want to do with distributing is to completely eradicate these hierarchies, right? So the question is, what does Islam want to do? You know, does Islam want to eradicate every single hierarchy? You know, is that the purpose of it? Is it bad being rich, basically? Okay, so uh, we can say that your question truly is, what is Islam's economic objectives, right? Right, right. And I'm going to say that there are three, and then Sheikh Taha can comment and add or subtract uh, 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 and and give us his his, uh, view on it. The first one is, a practical economic system that's natural and can be implemented. So this is very important because it needs to be something natural and practical, right? Second one, eradicating wealth concentration. So that the wealth is not just uh, only going, cycling through amongst the rich and never reaching anyone else. So that if you think about inheritance law, it breaks up huge, rich uh, uh, individuals' estates. It breaks them up, and it produces maybe four or five middle-class people. Okay, 
And then number three, enabling everyone to get what is their haq. Okay, so uh, in terms of the practical economic system, one that does not require too much use of force, one that allows for human aptitude and ambition, that's really important. It allows for that. It allows for ownership, allows for employer-employee relationships. It recognizes that there will be rich and poor, but it narrows their gap okay, as much as possible. And it will uh, disallow the um, it will it will disallow a the sucking up of wealth into one sector of the society. So those are the three uh, objectives of Islamic economics. And uh, Sheikh Taha, if you want to give your commentary on those, yeah, I mean this is 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 um, this, that's a um, a nice categorization. There, of course, have been uh, many others. Mm-hmm. <coughs> um, uh, thinkers such as uh, Najat Allah Siddiqui and Omar Chapri and others, uh, trained economists who also have um, uh, uh, read and benefited from the ulama and um, studied some themselves as well, um, took on some of these ph- philosophical issues um, in the last century. Um, that are, as you uh, intimated, associated with trying to understand where Muslim peoples should find themselves between the struggle between, you know, socialism and between capitalism. And to a certain extent, some of the literature and some of the answers that arose from that period are highly affected by the dichotomization which is embedded in the discussion. So you find answers such as neither neither capitalism nor Marxism, but it's not, which is an acceptable response. Mm-hmm. And some have responded and said, well, the dean is more, of course, than an economic system. And the principles of the dean allow for perhaps multiple systems. And then yet others have said, um, because of the association between socialism, between Marxist thought more generally, that and because uh, the West won <laughs> and people are inclined towards the winner. It said, okay, so we, we, we reject the socialism, um, we reject communism certainly mm-hmm. and Marxism, um, but uh, we're sort of modified, uh, we're consistent or, or find consistent a sort of modified uh, capitalism. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> These are all approaches that could, could have a greater discussion in, in and of ourselves. Um, as, I've, as, as, as I've alluded to, both of the um, philosophies, and we're treating them as philosophies, right? Because there are other things, there are economic systems, there, but as we intimated, as we indicated, they're associated with certain understandings of the world. There are aspects that are inconsistent with both, and Sheikh Shadi has uh, uh, referred to them. The short answer to your question, is that the purposes and the goals associated with the um, treatment of wealth, of mal, per the sharia, are the goals and the purposes of the sharia itself, right? So the makasa of the sharia are known, right? Mm-hmm. The five. And they include, of course, right, safeguarding deen, safeguarding life, Hmm. safeguarding progeny, even offspring, right? 
عقل safeguarding um you know عقل insanity and thought and some people um such as uh ibn talib the prominent alim from the last century North African alim also include ibn as well Mm-hmm. But the class going to have right now. You notice that one of those, one of the five purposes that many of the ulama agree that the Sharia itself is characterized by the maintaining is safeguarding wealth. So safeguarding wealth itself is one of the purposes of the Sharia, which mm-hmm. you we could discuss at length. Mm-hmm. But you notice that it includes, of course, safeguarding deen, mm. safeguarding. progeny humankind right so that this generation is not the last generation right so that there can be children to be can be produced and they can live and they can go and they can do it again what have you said mm-hmm. so what we can basically say is that the needs of human beings their masalih it's known those can't be met without economics mm-hmm. we have no understanding no evidence that any human civilization any society has ever successfully met its needs without dealing with the issue of wealth creating it maintaining it spending it so on and so forth so that's crucial to human existence amana the fact that it's given to us by Allah and we're and we're required to um give it to people who need it in Allah ya'murukum an tu'addul amanati ila ahliha Allah orders you that you render things that are given to you for safekeeping to their just recipients so that's one of the purposes of wealth because yeah. wealth is an amana and they should be given to people who are the people who need it the people who are the uh, hawaj people who have needs so for matters of durura for life for health for well-being shelter what have you okay if those things are not being met in a society and people have wealth then according to the ulama it is a haq that the people who don't have it have in the account the dhimma as it will of those who do have it meaning and what do we mean by haq we mean that on the day when zulm is zulamat meaning when the failure when going past the the boundaries right when when failing to uphold other people's rights or a transgressing to adi when that zulm manifests itself its darkness on people i.e. the day when rights uh, rights that are not upheld will be upheld to the point that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said all rights will be safeguarded there to the point that you know the animal who nudges another animal with its horn that will be even out on the day of judgment mm. before people enter uh, enter the jannah so that's one of the characteristics of the day on that day those people could find themselves in a difficult uh, situation. Mm-hmm. So, you have an amana, but then there's wilaya. People are responsible for other people. Human people, human being cannot humans cannot live without parents who are mm-hmm. responsible for safeguarding children. And that's a view of uh what people may cynically look at as uh power hierarchies, but mm-hmm. you have now put it in another way of caretaking. Yeah. Wilaya. So, we are not anarchists, right? Mm-hmm. So since it's popular to talk about you know we have college and then we maybe some of us become philosophers or get doctors or what have you and talk about it in a more structured way and we talk about different isms so a muslim can be an anarchist right but the deen is not consistent with anarchy 
-hmm. Destroying hierarchies is not only not a goal that's consistent with the 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 book, the guidance, the wahi from the book and the sunnah, but the Sharia requires requires the recognition of and the respect for certain hierarchies, mm -hmm. right? Because as every functioning human civilization knows, it's impossible to do the things that have to be done mm -hmm. or that need to be done if there are no power discrepancies. Right. And, right. and that power... You've never heard of an army. No one has ever heard of an army that successfully defended what needs to be defended when everyone is a general, a sergeant, mm -hmm. and a, 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 a private or the equivalent. Mm -hmm. We have no historical record of anyone ever doing that. <laughs> we have no historical record, to be honest, of the most basic unit in humanity, the family mm -hmm. unit, mm -hmm. Functioning on a, on a society and civilization in which there aren't power discrepancies. Mm -hmm. Whether those are what are now called patriarchal, as is, the, as is so for the supermajority of most human societies, right? And it's now under, uh, under attack. But certainly, every single society I'm aware of, and we always have our anthropologists, so, uh, what they specialize, always trying to find the exceptions. But every single um, uh, society I'm aware of has a built-in acceptance of and maintenance of a power discrepancy between young human beings who don't mm -hmm. have many years yet and the older human beings. Mm -hmm. And we deal with that hierarchy without being confused about the fact that because we recognize a functional difference and power discrepancy, we don't, we aren't confused about whether or not being an adult means that you're fundamentally better mm -hmm. than being a young human. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to some of these other discrepancies that we referred to, patriarchal otherwise, we allow ourselves to be just, uh, drawn into the confusion as to whether or not recognizing the existence of a hierarchy yeah. uh, or existence of a power discrepancy, which has a functional maslaha, a fun functional benefit associated, means that we're confused about whether or not being male or female means one is, fun is fundamentally Probably. because of that characteristic yeah. closer to Allah. Or more love to Allah, which is all that it means for a Muslim to be better or not. But that takes us somewhat to somewhat to the side. Similarly, your question, right? Among the Sahaba, there were people who had more money and people who had less money. We have no indication in the Book of Allah and no indication in the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ that he ever told the Muslimun, in order for you to achieve the um, uh, the safeguarding of the rights each of you of the other, you need to take all the wealth that you all have put it all into a pot and distribute it amongst yourselves so that there's no dirham or dinar difference amongst you. Mm -hmm. Rather, the Ahl al-Safa were people who were facing serious economic challenges, which is why they had to live where they lived inside of the happy. Some of them, of course, later had more money than they could spend in their entire life because of the futuhat, which is, of course, the way that life exists. Mm -hmm. And their hearts didn't change, which is, of course, what we aspire to, right? Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal um, was asked about Zuhud. He said, Zuhud is not being poor or not having things, right? Zuhud is, this is the paraphrase, is a state that Allah gives one where being increased in the amount of stuff you have or being decreased in it doesn't affect your heart state at all. That's Zuhud. Mm. That's what Zuhud is. SubhanAllah. Some of the Sahaba, while the Prophet وسلم, when he was uh, um, uh, when he was digging along with them, the Khandaq, during the of the Khandaq, right? He said in one of the sparks he saw the riches of the of the palace of Khosrow. That's the 
chief executive of one of the two superpowers of the time, the Sasanid Persians. And at the time, some people had stones tied in their stomachs in order to sort of deflect the effect of being hungry and people were dressed in rags and what have you. It's only because they knew that the Prophet was a the one who spoke truthfully and whose truthfulness was attested to, that they could say, oh, we're in this situation now, but a time will come in the future when you know we'll have more wealth than you can imagine, what have you. The fact that some people are taller than other people, more handsome than other people, right? Have more money than other people, as the law has made clear, are ways of testing both a person who's apparently favored and the person who isn't. Both of them are tested. Creating a society in which there are no discrepancies is not one of the purposes of the Sharia. Okay. However, as you know, as Sheikh Shahadi put that, there is great, great harm associated with some forms of fakr. The Prophet is reported to have preferred, he was given the choice of preferred to have what we would see in our thought. We would we'd say that the Messenger was in a state of serious economic challenge. Right? However, he made dua not to be placed in a certain type of poverty because there's some types of poverty that characterizes many parts of the so-called global south, what have you, where the lack of basic necessities, exigencies, like food and water and shelter and health is so great that the ability as a human being who's a ruh inside of this creation of ours, our body, the ability to have any part of your mentality to even be able to think about deen, not the high, just, just becomes challenging. And that type of poverty is a fitna. And it's part of the principles of our deen, not to ask for fitan, not to ask for tests in our deen, because then that becomes a test in deen, right? Right? Not whether or not I should get a Tesla or whether or not I should go for something lower scale, right? But am I going to be able to put food in the mouths of the woman who lives with me and I'm responsible of taking it by contract, right? And the children, are my children going to die because they haven't had a certain amount of nutrients, what have you? That's a test. And defraying and deflecting though that type of fuck up, that type of poverty is one of the purposes associated with wealth. Maureen? So it's a balance in between, uh, in between the two. Not trying to destroy and redistribute completely and totally, mm -hmm. but to try to deal with some of the harm associated with so as the as uh, um, uh, um, Sheikh Shadi, Sheikh Dr. Shadi mentioned, so that wealth uh, only circulate among the wealthy amongst people. Allah Azza has been clear, sort of al-hashr, that avoiding that is one of the purposes of uh, the Sharia. Okay. Yeah. Also, when the when the ulama are mentioning, I think I mentioned this earlier, when they're mentioning one of the hikam, one of the um, wisdoms associated with the impermissibility of using gold or silver as uh, um, uh, as dinnerware, as things that you eat with or drink with, which is impermissible in the Sharia. One of the hikam that they mentioned, the Fukuhar mentioned, the imam mentioned over and over again, is so that it's not hurtful to the hearts of the poor. SubhanAllah. Which is to say, there's a very important dynamic, very important dynamic that exists in the society when the gap between the wealthy 
and the poor becomes increased and there is prominent and, and conspicuous ostentatious display of wealth, there's a psychological harm associated with that, which is non-trivial. If it's not checked, it, 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 it results in the Bolshevik revolution or in the French revolution, people's heads being cut off and people running <laughs> the street and women and children not being safe behind the doors of their houses. The mm. basic um, um, uh, um, uh, aman of, of, of society becomes suspect because mm -hmm. eventually it boils over to something else. That's the way human beings live, are, mm -hmm. have you, okay? And hurting the heart of a believer in a Muslim society is, is an enormity, potentially, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So even when you have wealth, how you deal with wealth is something for which there are adab and there are sunan and ahkam associated with it, mm -hmm. all right? The, the, the prototype of a person who Allah has given wealth, who makes an ostentatious display of it, um, being a fitna for the people around him, either the people who are poor and they're hurt by it, or the people who are fools around him and say, oh, we wish we were like him, is who? Mm -hmm. Arun, mm -hmm. Korah in the Bible, right? What happened to him? Mm. He, he didn't just die and, you know, he, he went to whatever it is that it waits for the Lord of the moon in the afterlife, right? Allah open the earth in the sight of other people in Bani Israel and swallowed him and his household and the people who are too close to him. Mm -hmm. And there's a hikmah when Allah does a hikmah associated with that. That's so mm -hmm. it's something that we'll, we'll, we'll be talking about now, you know, thousands of years later. Mm -hmm. This is what happens to people. Not only he make ostentatious display of wealth, this is for all of us who live in a capitalist society or in the, um, a consumerist, hyper-capitalist, hyper-materialist society like the one we live in. Not only did he make an ostentatious display of wealth, what did he say? When he got the wealth, he said, Innama, I'm only giving this because of... My own self-knowledge. Because, because of some knowledge, some skill I have. Mm -hmm. I really deserve this. Yeah. Not, Allah gave this to you, he could have given it to someone else, but he gave it mm -hmm. to you as a test for you, as a test for the people who are looking at it and wish they were you. Mm -hmm. And what did Allah Azawajal, subhanAllah, the book of Allah Azawajal, subhanAllah, may Allah have mercy on us, give us insight to take it as it should be mm -hmm. taken and to do the double of what happened. What did Allah say about it afterwards? After the people, uh, after he had been swallowed in earth, what have you, the same people the day before who were saying, oh, we wish we were like Kara, we wish we had what he had, you know, he's bawling out of, you know, he's doing everything. He's the man. He has this, mm -hmm. he has what have you. They were saying, oh, thank God we were, we were so close to him. Thank God we were saying what happened. This is the way human beings are. Are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is the way human beings are. So when it comes to this matter of money and wealth, what have you, if we're going to be serious with regard to our nus, I'm talking about even the basic loyalty towards Allah and His mm. Messenger in the Book of Allah, we have to stop playing games with regard to this matter and just saying, you know, I'm just trying to make it for myself and make it for my family and get enough in order to be able to marry a, you know, a, a, a good sister. And if I have to do this and I have to do that, and you know, this brother's over here talking about Riba and people are talking about Islamic banks and what have you, and all that stuff is this, but they're not being realistic and we need a developed brother, we need development and what have you, et cetera, et cetera. That's mm. driving the car off the cliff. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to achieve the good for which the Sharia was made incumbent upon human beings on the individual, familial, and societal level, you need to take the ahkam with regard to matters economic and financial seriously. Because behind them and associated with them is the well-being of the individual, 
the well-being of the family and the well-being of the society. Wabillahi tawfiq. I'm yeah, sorry for going on too long. No, 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 no. no, no. That, was, that was beautiful. Um, so actually, you did cover the question a little bit, but just to get a little bit more specific, uh, I do want to ask about um, when it comes to wealth distribution, right? The the way when you mention wealth distribution to a, a person today, they immediately think uh, the state. Right, that I'm going to pay some version of taxes, or you know, I'm going to have a salary or a business or whatever it is, and I'm going to take a, a lump sum of that money and give it to some entity, more than likely the state, and the state now has the power to now take that money and distribute it. Now the problem comes is when you make a power, right, such as the state, right you know, uh, have the ability to take wealth and then now, now distribute it, you you forfeit a number of other powers in order to do so, right? Whereas Islam, uh, it, it doesn't look at it the same way, right? It, you don't really take your wealth in Islam, even if it's your zakat and hand it over to the state entity, which now does the distribution, right? There, there's an entire system we have around that. So what, even the way that we as uh you know as in, in in the dean understand the distribution of wealth it's it's a completely different system than you know you're you're granting this you know external i'm not sh- i'm not authority. sure that this is entirely correct cd no go, go ahead you, you no, know i, I understand idea. the point that you're making and this is you know this is redolent of some of the discussions you see on reddit and develop libertarianism in the dean uh, and so i'm on sure and yeah and they're important discussions in the, you know these type of late night college discussions that we that we have um you know, an asal <laughs> with regard to zakat hmm. is that it's paid to representatives of the state. Hmm. What you find later in the books, for example, the books of the Shafi Fiqh and Hanbali Fiqh that uh, you know <clears throat> that I know best, right? Is if there's jaur, <laughs> right? If there's injustice on the part of the uh, of the authority knowing that the authority is going to miss him or have you, mm-hmm. then the, the ulama are explicit. Okay, so it's better for you to give it to someone yourself. But the asl is that the zakat is, is that the imam sends out multiple classes. These are mentioned in the books of the class of individuals associated with the collection of zakat. Right. People who, who, who keep track of wealth, like particularly, you know, grace and cattle, what have you, and count it over time. People who go and uh, and collect it. People who distribute it. People who keep maintain the ledgers of it. So and so. This is a this is an aspect, a, a significant aspect, of the authority of government. Hmm. Okay. Um, and we and the Sheikh uh, Shadi referred to there's a hikmah, there's great hikmah associated with that because that, the yeah. government can't do that without, among other things, knowing who are the poor people in society. So this argument that you often see that, you know, the dean is consistent with a sort of uh, pre-modern, uh, broadly libertarian state in which there was a small government that had fairly low interaction with an individual and wasn't as intrusive as the modern state. I generally agree with it, but we should be careful of overgeneralizations. For sure. For There's sure. no way to maintain the ahkam and the sunan and the adab of zakat without monitoring and no. This person actually is one of the recipients of zakat. Particularly since Allah Azawajal has praised and described instead of the Quran, those people who are poor, but they maintain outwardly that they aren't that poor. 
so that even people who are close to them don't know. That means, and Ahmad ibn Khattab was consistent about this, you have to exert yourself I see. to right. find no. out who are the people who are actually our recipients of zakat. Because a Muslim who's on the Sunnah of the Prophet he's going to do, it's not a matter of lying, but he's, you know, he's it's very unlikely he's going to reach out his hand and ask people uh, and beg for people in the street of Allah and avoid that will happen. Izza and, and, and just in, in the karama that's associated with the deen, you know, the Prophet said that the upper hand is better than the lower hand. <clears throat> what happened? Muslim Sahaba took this seriously and they had to exert themselves to know, oh, you know, actually, you know, we haven't seen um, a fire lit in this person's house for 15 days. Mm. Is he eating hot food at all? He goes to the marketplace, what have you, et cetera, et cetera. But the person that he buys from, what have you, et cetera, he's, he's buying mash. You know, he's buying um, uh, um, uh, uh, barley hmm. and water. And that's it. That's it. SubhanAllah. What is, you have to know that. Is there a difference, though, between, you know, this? Th there is a difference, if I'm not mistaken, between the entity that we describe the state in, 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 in the Islamic world, right, versus the entity that we describe as the state in, in, in sort of yes, the secular yes. world. That's why I said I broadly agree with the sort of late night college discussion that libertarian inclinations towards describing the pre-modern state as being less inclusive, less intrusive into the life of the individual are broadly consistent, not only within Islamic norms of the time, but also other pre-modern uh, uh, civilizations. However, the degree to which a group of people get together and agree amongst themselves, this is what the Ahd is, similar to a, a constitution, like the Ahd that existed among the Prophet Sallallahu and the Yahud of Yathrab and the others, and the Ansar, the constitution that uh, <coughs> that uh, um, uh, Dr. Hamid Allah described is the first constitution, arguably the world's first constitution, the constitution of Medina, what have you. Um, um, that whatever people agree amongst themselves, that is the basis for their understanding. And that, like every other thing that the imam does, as for the sharia, every single thing that the imam does, that the authority does, its linchpin, the chief consideration is whether or not it achieves or doesn't achieve the interests of the people. So if, yep. you know, we were to put together the precursors for a nomadic uh, polity, and we said, you know, in order for us to do what we need to do, we need to have a modern state in which a level of what would con be considered from the point of view of the 12th century, intrusion, in which there are taxes that are um, collecting what have you, and orders, what have you, that would be permissible, provided that it was associated with Rida nafs, right? Because it's prohibited for any Muslim. This is one of the themes of the Ahkam and Mu'amalat. It's prohibited for any Muslim to take, use, infringe upon, transgress the wealth of any other person without it being given up from Tlib nafs. That means without it being given in a contractual, either even given outside of a contract as 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 a charity or being given as per um, um, uh, um, uh, a willed contract indicating that they've been compensated for it or there's some other bilateral contract. Otherwise, that is going to be accounted for on the Day of Judgment. Every instance of gusp of misappropriation is accounted for on, in, in, um, unless Allah, Allah forgives one. <clears throat> and okay, I have... Not only includes every type of misappropriation, every type of spending of any wealth that's not yours 
outside of it being freely given to you or there being um, um, some sort of a, a contract by which you've compensated the person for it or, or the like. Yeah. Okay. Now I have a question. So uh, in our assessment here that we said that wealth is the right of the producers of wealth, which tend to be the one who invests the capital, the one who does the work and the one who possesses assets such as like uh, land or what have you. And also uh, there is a second category of recipients of wealth. And we said that is uh, the recipient of zakah, which is the 10% or in some cases 20% of the cr dry crops. Uh, then you have your nafaka, which you have to, to spend upon your family, mirath, inheritance, kafarat, uh, punish, punishments or purifications, uh, which is a kafara, and, and, and sadaqat al-fitr as well. So how we distribute this, now we've moved from the philosophy of wealth ownership. We, sh we talked about that. We talked about the um, objectives of Islamic um, uh, economics. We, we discussed that uh, quite a bit. And now I want to talk about the actual methods. And I didn't actually prepare to talk about this, but now that it's been brought up, we know that this is uh, who should be, who they have a, a rightful, uh, they are rightful owners of wealth. Now my question is, and it's based on what we talked about last week, or last podcast, about taxation. And it's uh, in the classical books that the government has not have the right to take your money. Right. Even if it, they claim to do something good with it. However, we do know that in Islamic history, the Ottoman fuqaha, in the Ottoman times, they did recognize the need for public services, for other things, to tax the people. So, and, and I don't know the details. I actually haven't discussed the details with uh, anyone or read it much about the nature of those fatawa. But since, you know, that topic has come up, can you talk a little bit about what leeway the imam has in fulfilling this Islamic objective, which you had already mentioned is that yeah. the imam's power should be used for the benefit of the people. Yeah. So, but at the same time, how do we balance that with the sort of subjective nature of how much are you taking from me? Why are you taking it by force? Do you have the right to do that? Can you talk to us a little bit about this issue of uh, um, taxation in Sharia and by the imam? Yes, and this is as as uh, Ustad Mu'in was uh, um, alluding to. This is an important issue that's discussed among the fuqaha. There's some diversity of opinion, but as you said, there are a number. There's a lot that's agreed about, and you saw that a good place, right? Mm. The, the 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 starting point is that every single single thing that a person owns is prohibited for any other person to spend, take, or otherwise do any tasawwuf. Mm -hmm. Do any disposition with regard to that without that person's will. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that means it includes, that includes um, the imam. There's nothing about being the imam or representative of the imam. It means that you get to engage in ghasp and mis misappropriation of wealth. The imam um, being the khalifa or the authority, just for people who, who so know. So the yeah. imam, the, the, the government. The, the authority, the, the mm -hmm. government, mm -hmm. <clears throat> for use of, uh, uh, of contemporary terms. Now, if zakat right, mm -hmm. can be taken forcefully from people, mm -hmm. 
because this is not a violation of that principle, because the Fuqaha have been very clear, and this is indicated by the Nasus, that at the time that the conditions for payment of zakat are met, mm -hmm. at that moment, zakat becomes the haq, the right of the mustahaqeen, of those who receive zakat, mm -hmm. that is just in the custody of the people who haven't paid it yet. So a person's not paying the zakat, is there withholding the right of something that belongs to someone else, the poor mm -hmm. and the indigent who actually own it. And the fuqaha are clear about this. So the question is, what about non-zakat taxes and the like? Mm -hmm. Good. So zakat, fine. <laughs> okay. Non-zakat. Okay. All right. And you know, uh, uh, you know this in the seerah and 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 the seerah. Uh, you know, um, uh, when the so-called Ridda wars took place and people refused to pay zakat, and there was discussion among the fuqa, among the uh, kibar uh, of the uh, of the of the um of the of the sahaba you know about Abu Bakr, Umar, what have you you know sh should we go to war it's very important not to fight amongst the believers or what have you and mm -hmm. Abu Bakr said you know if they refuse to give me the the bright the 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 handle they use to connect from one part of the body to another part of the body on a goat mm -hmm. so they used to give to the Prophet Sallallahu Zakat I will ride and go to meet them in war. Mm -hmm. Right, and later almost said, "Okay, it's reported that almost came to that opinion, and he said, okay, he understood better than me because if you allow people to institutionally mm -hmm. reject zakat, that's one of the shahid of the deen. Yeah, you, you've cooperated in the transmission of something that's not the deen to the next generation and told them it's deen, mm -hmm. whereas the Prophet led you left you with the deen is this and includes." Payment of zakat as uh, an obligation, not not something like that. Okay, so the question is uh, with regard to taxes, and there are a couple of things that are written in in Arabic and English on this, and we can put together a bibliography on what we wanted. But essentially, if a group, as we mentioned before, and this is what I was alluding to, if they have an ahad between themselves, and remember it. According to most of the fuqaha, as indicated in as alluded to inside Imamawardi's Ahkam al-Sultaniyya, which describes the the khilafa and the basic structure of government, as understood by the Imam uh, al Sunni al-Jama'ah from early on, that it's possible to put shurut conditions on the khilafa <laughs> and on the uh, and on the sultan. We know that basically he has to do, right? Mm -hmm. But there's possible to put shurut on that. Mm -hmm. So if the Ahlul Hilli wal Aqd or representatives of the people come and say, we agree that these people can go in consultation with the imam and they can decide when expenditure is needed for some purpose that we decide, whether it's durura, whether it's necessity, whether it's haja, whether it's need, something that's pressing but not at the same level as exigency, or whether it's even something that's a superlative. It's not one of those, but something that the society want to go in this direction. And they decide and an order comes from the imam saying, you know, and consistent with my report, my, my, the conditions you placed upon me as part of the bay'ah, right? <clears throat> Affirmed by the Ahlul wal the notables that are represented from his side and represent the people. Mm -hmm. Consistent with the ahad, the, the agreement that we have that says when we come to an agreement that there needs to be additional monies that come forth. And now reinforced by an order from the imam, the Muslims are bound by Torah, right? Yeah. 
they're bound by obedience to the to the imam. Do the Muslims have to consent to this? The because consent, it's financial. The consent is in the form of the conditions placed on the imam, potentially in the ahad, which is the formative document of the of the society, mm -hmm. and certainly in the form of the representatives, perhaps the people of you know binding and dissolution al aqd who represent them, who agree that this is needed. Okay. Then, very importantly, and this is a role function similar to the Supreme Court in a, in a contemporary system, affirmed and agreed to by the fuqaha, by the ulama. This is a role function that the ulama played. And this is not a mythological role function. Mm -hmm. There are stories about Ezzuddin and Abdus Salam, right? One mm -hmm. of the famous stories about him is written, right, is that at, at, at his time, they gathered the um, uh, uh, the uh, sultan of the early um, uh, Mamluks, Mamalik, Mamluks, um, uh, gathered um, his nobles, what have you, and they needed to go in order to to meet the Mongols, mm. right? They were coming, and he, he said, you know, um, we're in an exigent situation. We need to raise the taxes on the people, and I'm mm -hmm. going to call the um, uh, ulama together, and we're going to put pressure on them. We're, we're going to get them to sign off on this. Yeah, and some people signed off because you know the sultan puts pressure. Pressure is real, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Right. Pressure takes many different forms. Mm. And he said, um, and he called sultan the ulama in, and he said, you know, I need you to sign this thing, what have you, et cetera, et cetera. He said, and he wrote a fatwa, and he said, not until you have gone to your own family mm -hmm. and to the earrings and the necklaces on the ears and the necks of your daughters and your women folk that are gold and silvers that are actually misappropriated funds that you've gathered. Mm -hmm. Not until you've gathered all of that together, mm -hmm. melted it down and got what have you, and then shown that there's still a need in order to make this section what have you, until that point is impermissible for you to uh, um, take anything away from the people. Yeah. SubhanAllah. So, yeah. Yeah, this is not, remember, this is like, you know, a person about whom some of the fuqah have said that there's no ijma there that can be Recognize in the Ummah without Isdudim Nabi Salam being on the side of the Ijma, right? It's a question. Mm. The, 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 I mean, the, the Mahakkik position is that he wasn't the Mushtahid Mutlaq. There's a question, some people had a question as to whether or not he had reached a level of Ijtihad by the time that he was. This is a senior alam. It's called Sultan al Ulama, in mm. part because of these brave stances in the face of you know, mm. powerful, what would be called secular. Yeah. you know, um, political, um, uh, um, um, political. Power. So um, it is true to say that uh, there is a narrow lane and it is a narrow, narrow lane for how narrow or how wide it is, is a factor of one, the formative document that represents the agreement between the people and between and notables and the leadership and yeah. the mm -hmm. constitution. The um, shura in which the people, uh, the notables and the representatives of the people participate as per the conditions of this ahad that allow for gathering of funds beyond um, uh, of this. And third, whether or not the fuqaha in the form either of the qadi al-qudha or the leading fuqaha of the time in the form of fatawa or preferably, and this is what the Ottomans are referring to, at least uh, mechanically, the se senior um, muftis of the society acting as consultants in court, mm -hmm. as a, a court advisors to the Qadi, and then the Qadi releasing um, uh, um, 
a, a judiciary statement indicating that, yes, this 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 can be done. And you can see that's very similar to actually yeah. what's done in a, a multi-brand, mm-hmm. um, a, a, a contemporary government. There's an incident in the Sira in which at the Battle of Khandaq, there was a big tribe and the Prophet ﷺ thought they have really no interest against Islam. And the Battle of the Khandaq is the battle of the trench in which so, uh, uh, many uh, pagan tribes came to destroy Mecca, uh, Medina. One of them was the biggest, one of the biggest tribes there. The Prophet saw they have no real religious uh, interest, theological interest in this. They're just here with Abu Sufyan, probably to get some gain. And he said to the two Sa'ads, who were the leaders of the Aus and the Khazraj, what do you say that we will give them a third of our crop, of our produce, for them to just go home, mm-hmm. right? Pack up and go home. Now, uh, many of the ulama say that there is a great limitation on this because you can't, you know, you don't, you want, they said no. So there's a limitation on how you can use this incident as a religious, as a legal evidence, mm-hmm. right? But outside of war, I mean, they said, you know, you, it's not a legal evidence in war because if that was a precedent, then we'd always be just paying people instead of fighting. So the uh, outside of war, could that be used as an evidence or have you seen any of the fuqaha using uh, this as an evidence that in dire need, the emirs, can speak on behalf of their people. Because in this case, the Prophet is talking to Sa'ad, the two Sa'ads, about all their people, their tribes, which is the the one-third produce is going to come from everybody of Medina, not just them two. No, I, I, no, I haven't seen it as such, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but um, as evidence in, 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 in that context. But mm-hmm. remember, the, the, the um, scope of activity of the, of the imam, of the sultan, is 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 potentially wide. It can be limited mm-hmm. based upon the shirut that are introduced as part of the uh, bayah, and or as part of the ahad, as part of the covenant or a constitution um, that forms the political structure of mm-hmm. uh, of society when um, it comes into it comes into existence or is updated or reformed uh, subsequently. Um, and with the fuqaha acting as a sort of, uh, um, uh, uh, the ulama acting as a sort of uh, a check, as as as, as quda, um, uh, to the tasarruf of the sulta, particularly, right? These are sultans in particular, right? Because they have even less mm-hmm. scope in some ways formally than the imam, than the khilafa, all right? Um, but most taxes or taxation or imposition of tariffs or the like were treated famously inside of the books of fiqh as mux, as just rasp, as just pure misappropriation, mm. as can vul, I, can I ask a, taken from the people. Mm-hmm. Can I ask a quick question? What is uh, uh, tasarruf? Yeah, tasarruf means a disposition, some act. So okay, it means okay. whether it be buying, selling, spending, loaning, what have you, any type of reaching of one's hand over into the wealth of someone else and doing, see, anything, see, doing anything with it, yeah. right? So any dispositive act. So the qa'idah that we mentioned that the al-ashab al-shafi'iyah, that our shafi colleagues considered to be the central qa'idah that governs the scope of activity of the imam, the sultan, is the qa'idah, I gave you one love of it, it has slightly different al uh, 
which basically is that the Sadhguru Imam, that the dispositive acts of the Imam, of the, of the Sultan, of the political authority, that the basis for it and the limit of it is that it be associated with achieving the Masalih, the, um, uh, the, the interests of the Ra'iyah. Okay. Anything that he or she does that's not associated with that, it's baseless. Mm-hmm. And anything that he does associated with that is potentially permissible, mm-hmm. subject to any other sharut or structures or adat that they have agreed amongst themselves that further circumscribe the uh, activity of the imam. Allah yeah. Okay, Naz, you have some time? Yeah, so uh, you know, I've been listening for the past couple minutes, um, and uh, it's clear that. Obviously, there are various structural things that we could do to, I guess, equalize the distribution of wealth, right? And make it fairer. And uh, Islam gives us uh, certain guidelines to do that. I mean, that's that seems great. Um, but what I want to challenge is, uh, I, I just want to say that, at least for me, I don't think the primary level of analysis of how we look at the world is through the structural sense. But rather, it's, it's probably the psychological and the individual, right? Mm-hmm. And the reason I point that out is because uh, the same economic policies that you implement in the United States has a different effect, let's say, in Japan, right, or in Sweden. Uh, I mean, people compare, for example, they say, why can't we have democratic socialism? And, uh, you know, they have that in Sweden. They have that in these other various countries. Look how those countries are doing. They're doing great. Uh, um, Or let's look at Japan, right? Uh, 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 People don't cheat as much, you know. Uh, people are very helpful. They, um, uh, their cities are incredibly clean. Why can't we implement those policies? But the the main reason isn't necessarily the policies themselves. It's the culture, right? Like it's the it's the it's what people believe about wealth. It's what poli- people believe about um, the responsibilities that they have. So uh, in the United States, for example, the the rich person Jeff Bezos, right? He has the same type of psych- psychology that. The poorest individual in society has, which is that um, it's a doggy dog world, right? That's the expression, um, it, and it's it's a free for all, you know. And if I have a chance to get some money, and it's legal, meaning I don't run into the cops, then I'm good. It doesn't matter how you actually do that. So, in our society, we celebrate people that have wealth, regardless of how they actually got it, right? So Hugh Hefner, incredibly you know, a huge playboy, and he's very successful, apparently, and people love that, and so on and so forth, right? Um, so I think the, the while there are structural things, right, the, the primary thing that determines if those structural uh, things will actually have effect in society and benefit people is the psychological thing, right? Like if, it will, if people will have the psychological thing. I just want to end with, um, and I, I want you guys, I want the shiuch and, you know, Muin, uh, your opinion on this. There's a fascinating study uh, that I heard about, and um, it uses, so what the, those uh, sociologists were trying to do was trying to predict the, the criminal activity, right, in a certain locality. So they, they analyzed uh, a country, they analyzed a city, they analyzed down to the county. And what they found and this is one of the most replicable studies that have ever been done, and it's it's so incredibly accurate. What they found is criminal activity is directly related to something called the Gini coefficient, which is the Gini coefficient is like the income inequality in a society, right? 
So they looked at very poor societies. You know, everybody's poor, right? Everybody's living in mud huts. Very little crime. They looked at very rich neighborhoods. Everybody's rich. Very little crime. Mm. Looked at now the crime level actually increases, you know, proportional to the the inequality in a given place. So, you know, in the United States, it's not that people are poor in the way that it, they're poor in other places of the world, but rather that because of the huge level of inequality, people have this tremendous uh, rage within themselves that look, the structure is not working. I can't get up the the social ladder, right? And the people at the top actually don't even care about me. So it's a dog eat dog world. It's an all out combat. So this is what actually fuels the crime cycle, according to these these sociological studies. Um, I, I want you guys' reaction to that study. And the, the last thing I want to say is um, it looks like the way Islam fixes that problem is that regardless of where you are in the social ladder, it seems like it's almost a religious obligation um, to have some concern for people that are not in, at your level. You know, does this seem accurate? And it's and it it's almost like a obligation on every single person in society, whether they're the the ruler or the the lowest of the bunch. Right? Uh, yeah, that's a. Uh, I read a similar study to that, but mm -hmm. I read it on uh, regarding civil wars. I was reading about civil wars, and anyone who knows that, you know how I'm. Um, any one of listeners of the podcast know that I always I'm reading a lot about Civil War Two. <laughs> The next Americans. <laughs> He's listening to like the forward. I'm like, I'm, 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 <laughs> I have an interest in this topic because I mean, yeah. uh, our the country now culturally, politically, it's so extreme the distance between both sides. But what another extreme that's growing is the wealth gap is growing so extreme between both sides, and I read that whenever there's one third of the population is uh not satisfied and is not really meeting their fundamentals needs then there is civil strife in the society not civil war per se but civil strife for example egypt we saw that i don't know why they took in 2011 they had the uh, uprising right the arab spring it's you know it they, they 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 were very patient for a long time and then all these arab countries blew up they mainly blew up because of you had some of these leaders having tigers and having jets and having homes in Paris, and these people can't even buy an eggplant, right, or or a couple of potatoes to fry, so in their homes. So that's a that the, I I came upon that too, and it's something to that's important. But in the solution, it it, it is yeah the the ethic, the religious ethic of fearing the afterlife, fearing God, and and being told by Allah. You and Allah commands you to give the amana, the wealth that He's given you, and any, anything is an amana, anything else can be an amana to its people. But also, and this leads us to part, I guess maybe it's part three or, or four, uh, of our or part four of our uh, uh, our notes here the critique of capitalism and in specific how interest destabilizes the distribution of wealth and sucks up wealth in one area for a simple reason is that the investor if he loans out his money is guaranteed a return whereas the laborer who poor guy opens a pizzeria or something and takes the loan and tries to make a business he's at risk of course 
Of course, the bankers always tell you, well, we're at risk too, because what if he doesn't pay? Yeah, but you've assessed that he has collateral, right? That he has enough collateral that you can take, right? So the that's the, the crux of the issue of interest being one of the main sources of the destabilization of wealth distribution. In that, again, of the three producers of wealth, the investor, the uh, laborer, and the people with assets that they rent out their assets, whether it's land or machines or what have you, in this respect, in the capitalist system, the, the investor of wealth, if he does it through money lending, he guarantees his return. While the laborer and the entrepreneur can fail, right? And end up with a zero. And that as a result of that constant guaranteed victory, guaranteed victory, guaranteed victory, you end up with all of the wealth going back to uh, the same people. In England, it was the inheritance system that all the wealth will always go to the first son. So you have this family just keeps getting richer, right? Because the, the, all the wealth is going to one person. In this system, it's going back to the banks. So uh, critique of capitalism is the next uh, discussion that we're going to have mainly on interest. And then we have critique of socialism after that. So let's talk about, uh, Sheikh Taha, tell us about, you know, what I've just said, you know, what can you add, subtract, or comment on? Yeah, I mean, the fuqaha historically are very practical, mm -hmm. right? Because an, an, an alim is, 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 is trying to, to uh, benefit himself and benefit others to be able to take the road to Allah Azza wa Jal. Mm -hmm. To achieve Ridwan Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we understand that's not achieved other than by complying with Allah's orders mm -hmm. and his prohibitions. That is with the Sharia, mm -hmm. which is this uh, sort of road, this path through space time, that when you stay on it, you're in compliance. And when you don't, you're not. Mm -hmm. Right? So the Fuqah have said there's. There's really few things that you can think of that are more beneficial, that are more meaningful for a Muslim to be able to do with regard to another Muslim than to give him the knowledge by which he knows whether he's on the road or not on the road. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's the beneficial knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. As we spoke about before, right? Imam al-Ghazali mentions, Imam al-Jawani mentions before, and it's, it's a theme that the knowledge which is most beneficial is the knowledge by which a person knows how he's able to safeguard and how he's able to deal with the things that are made obligatory upon him. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. That includes, of course, the ibadat, the devotional practices that we think of, such as uh, um, salah, tahara as a prerequisite to it, zakat, siyam, what have you. But as we mentioned, the fuqaha have been very clear that when you're involved in a thing, then knowing what the hukum of Allah, the hukum of Allah are that are associated with the thing you're involved in becomes obligatory for you. Mm -hmm. Like Salah and Siyamah. So if you're a Tajib, if you're a merchant, then knowing the ahkam that are associated with transactions, Mu'amalat, is fault for you. Mm -hmm. Because it's being involved in something and being engaged in a lot of acts and not knowing whether you're doing a halal haram is, is mindlessness. Mm -hmm. It's folly from the point of the Sharia, right? Mm -hmm. And we just indicated, of course, that we mentioned before that the lives that we live now with electronic transactions, what have you, 
that every single one is involved in transactions, maybe 100 and maybe a thousand times the number of transactions that maybe the largest, most prosperous mega trader was in 12th century um, uh, Egypt. Mm-hmm. Just because of the velocity and nature, what have you. Mm-hmm. So we have to know these ahkam that are associated with it. Mm-hmm. Now, when you do call, when you do deductive analysis of the Sharia, you just mm-hmm. look at it, you look at the ahkam. See, you know, you look at a road and see what it's made of, where it's going. You can get a good idea of where is it trying to go? What is it trying to have me avoid? What, what path is it trying to have me what, what have? If you look at the ahkam that are associated with this area of mouth, so the amalat, uh, transactional fiqh, there's some recurring themes. Riba, usury, is prohibited. It's not just prohibited. It's prohibited using language. It's prohibited and law prohibits it. And the 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 and it and the Prophet ﷺ speaks about it. It's mentioned as one of the sub'mubiqat, one of the seven things that cast the committer of them on their face in fire, along with zina and uh 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 qatr haram Allah, um uh, illegitimate killing and murder and what have you, major huge sins. And the fuqah have asked. Imam Azadin of Sunnah, for example, asked in Al-Kubra, he asked, what is, you know, what is, what, what's so bad about this? Some of the ulama have said, okay, the reason, the illa behind this prohibition is it's ma'akul, you can understand it, what have you. Some will say there's some ta'abud associated with it, you don't necessarily know what's so wrong with what have you. Mm-hmm. Most of the ulama have inclined towards the idea that when it comes to mu'amalat in general, the reason that it prohibited is something that the human mind can attain to. It's not like Zuhr is for uh, Rata'at. Why? Because Allah Azzawajal said so. Mm-hmm. Right? What this means is may Allah have mercy on us because we live in a society which has normalized riba, normalized usury. And notice I use usury rather than interest. Mm-hmm. Right? Because usury is from the Latin Usuria, which is prohibited in canonical law. It's mm-hmm. prohibited. It's been prohibited in uh, uh, Jewish law and Christian law for a long time. Um, uh, European Christians went through a formal process whereby they systematically uh, at certain high points rationalized its criminality and its mm-hmm. evil mm-hmm. out of their discourse but as per canon uh, canon law the official law of the catholic church is prohibited as recently as the 1890s formally right which historically is just yesterday yep. right you usuria which in some contexts um, uh, legally now means charging interest beyond a certain uh, um, uh, 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 um, uh, amount, an exorbitant uh, interest, right? Doesn't, didn't mean that in, uh, in the history of uh, Europe. It meant charging any illegitimate increase that attends to or is to the benefit of one party in a bilateral transaction while not to the other. Mm-hmm. So any amount of return on on loan and the principal, what have you. Which is and that was so for centuries. Yeah. And in any amount, all remnants of riba yeah. in the Quran. Yeah. So yeah. Right. So what this indicates is anyone who understands something from the book and something some, and looks at the Sharia and understands something does, when the things that are made haram mm-hmm. that are prohibited. And that are most all the things that are most harmful to human beings because, right? Mm-hmm. Sharia, the Sharia is what it was is established in order to procure masalih mm-hmm. interest 
and to deflect. Mafasid. Mafasid. Mm -hmm. So when something's haram, rather than being makruh, that means it's associated with more harm than the thing. Mm -hmm. When something's mentioned as one of the seven casters of the committer of the, on the face, or it's mentioned in a hadith about which is some discussion as being worse than, you know, incestuous intercourse with one's close mm -hmm. kinfolk, mm -hmm. all right? Or Allah Azza mentions it along with wilaya in the hadith of, uh, of, of wilaya as something that puts you in a state of war mm. with Allah Azza That mm -hmm. means that the harm associated with it is enormous. It's not liturgical, ritualistic, mm -hmm. a nicety. That means that if you do not extirpate this practice from your society, that your society mm -hmm. is at risk. Because if you look at the other Mubiqat, right? They're not just harmful individuals or families. They 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 go to if you allow people to just kill illegitimately, yeah. that the, the entire society is at risk. Yep. Right? If mm -hmm. Zina, as we understand, threatens the family, which is the, in right, and it threatens the entirety of society, mm -hmm. bloodlines and familial lines are in, in doubt. That riba is deadly, fatal to the mm -hmm. society. And one of his manifestations, and what, what that means is among the things that Ustad uh, Mu'ain mentioned, that's one thing, but we'll, we'll be finding out different types of harms associated with it as long as people are doing sociological studies. Yeah. Yes, it increases, it keeps the wealth concentrated in amongst the people, amongst a, a small group of people who have it, mm -hmm. right? So distribution and social mobility tend to be limited, right? Mm -hmm. It um, uh, makes people fail, and this goes to the so-called Gini quotient, it makes people who are on the lower part of the economic ladder feel as though the way that people get money who are at the top, that is fundamentally unfair. So they have a resentment in their heart. It's just unfair. All mm -hmm. sides unfair. And if all society is unfair, the things like law and not mm -hmm. doing this in order to get ahead, what happens? Those things don't, you know. How can people? I'm African American, right? So I know this phenomenon very well, right? When you have long-standing voting directed by one people with another people, what have you? The ability of the volume to then turn around to the mudroom and tell them, you shouldn't do X, Y, and Z. You should comply with this norm and that norm and this yeah. law and that law. There's no moral authority associated with that. Yeah. yeah. Even if you have religion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in fact, one of the fitting that the mudroom can fall into is that they would turn their back on a religion. Mm -hmm. If your religion tells you when we're in a slave shack, <laughs> right? And you have the minister comes to us that it's part of complying with your religion that because we are melanin rich and you're melanin poor, that we can be treated as worse than animals. I don't, I'm not really attracted to your religion. Now, mm -hmm. the African American people, African people are such a, uh, such a religious people that they went the other way. People went mm -hmm. deeper into Christianity and, and still to this day, African Americans are more committed to Christianity in general than others. Mm. Right. Mm. Um, because of what scent of actual nabuwa that they could that they could yeah. find it that was was what was available to them but it threatens the entire ethical religious moral social premise of a society mm. when people who have less feel fundamentally that there are mechanisms in place by which those who have more mm. will constantly continue to have more and the gap will increase 
and that playing by the rules, there is no way for them to win. To win. Yeah. yeah. And it the rules usually yeah. profoundly deleterious effect. Yeah. Not only in the individual psychological and the familial level, but on the societal and yeah. level. And it's and, and yeah. is very dangerous, of course, mm-hmm. to a Muslim society in which the society is supposed to have a shared theme and purpose, right? Mm-hmm. Which is ibadah of Allah. Yeah. Right? If people are fighting amongst themselves, fundamentally harboring resentment amongst themselves, killing each other, feel fundamentally a society is unfair, suffering from back breaking uh, uh, poverty, unable to put a lakma, uh, put a morsel of, of, of food inside of the mouth of their of their loved ones, while they see people who are gaining in wealth, not primarily because they are, you know, we're, we're Americans, so self-made men, but no, that, that's not primarily even how people who are supposedly self-made men, that's not primarily how the individual that you mentioned earlier makes yeah. wealth. Yeah. Once you get to a certain level, you primarily make wealth by virtue of the fact that riba and other mechanisms that are associated with misconsumption of the wealth of people, amwal and nasib and batil, increase the wealth of people who already have it. Yeah. At the expense mm-hmm. of those who don't. Yeah. It's vol. Mm-hmm. Well, yom right? And Allah doesn't abide of uh, and it's massive vol on 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 the on the basic level. And we have to live in a society in which the basis of the currency we use is based on riba. Um, the interest-bearing loan is the foundation mm-hmm. of our entire economic system. So although the structural discussion that we were having earlier about what an idealized Islamic society would be is important because you need to have thinkers, what have you, as a practical matter, we need to know where we live, what we're surrounded by, what have you, and how can you live a life individually, familiarly, and then on larger communities that's consistent with the Sharia. And being able to, to the extent possible, given that some of the ulama think that we live in a time that the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, in which he said that a time will come when if people are not engaged in actual ribawi transaction, mm-hmm. serious transaction, that the ribar, that the dust of it will reach them. Yeah. Some people think this is that time because it's, it's everywhere. Yeah. How can you live your life to the extent possible? And that's where, where the brother was mentioning before this tension, which is the tension of all islah all reform, all tawbah, on the communal level. How do you balance between individual psycho-spiritual reform and collective reform? The mm-hmm. dean doesn't allow you to do one to the exclusion of others, right? Because the ahkam of the sharia, of course they're based upon aqidah. Of course they're based upon suluq and tazkiyat al-nafs and riyadat al-nafs. Mm-hmm. And uh, what have you, of course. And of course, a slavish commitment to laws and to regulations while having a corrupt heart and mind mm-hmm. is meaningless, mm-hmm. hyperformalism. Mm-hmm. So it's antimonianism, right? Mm-hmm. So it's claiming that I'm just a good person, I'm just spiritual, yeah. and, and, and regulation and, and law doesn't matter at all. Yeah. The theme is the prophetic median What's of that? always. Mm-hmm. And this is a time in which we have to start to build institutions that facilitate. Because some of the effects of economic effects of engaging in aqlam and misappropriation of wealth and, and uh, unjust enrichment, including riba, their mass effects, their, their, their scaling effects, take place because they're associated with institutions. Yeah. 
So it's not it's not enough. Alhamdulillah, I don't I won't take out a loan. What have you? So that's good. That's important. Mm. But to make it easier for people, do we have ways for people to get money if they want to start to uh, yeah. enterprise? Yeah, and then that's the thing is uh, uh, it brings up, and maybe this is going to be our part two, be, because it's a huge topic of how do you compete. And when you said these self-made men, and when I'm looking at you know their stories. Without Riba, you're not making anything. You're a middle-class dude with a little internet company, right? Without an interest loan, right? Uh, and now, if you look at the people, almost always, I, I don't want to be, you know, because you have to be careful being jealous about people who have uh, yeah. um, more wealth. But if you look at people that ascribe this ruthless businessman and they said almost, uh, uh, almost uh, um, admiringly, what yeah. have you, this is not the ethos of uh, of Tijara yeah. uh, in the Deen. Yeah. Right? I think Sheikh Hamza Yusuf was the one who mentioned, you know, uh, how it was the ethos of uh, being sitting in a dukkan on the bench inside of the soup that, yeah. you know, I I'm higher up. Someone comes, you know, I've done the, the amount I do today, what have you. I'll let it flow down to others that are further yeah. down. So Every wow. single cent doesn't have to be. Um, uh, uh, the dean doesn't prohibit it, but it's yeah. not part of the ethos of the dean that mm. all competitors need to be crowded out. Everyone needs to be destroyed. All my competitors need to go out of business. I have 10 million. I need a, um, a, um, 100 million. I have 100 million. I need a billion. I have a billion. I yeah. need 10 billion. Right? That would actually be a aib on a person's character. Yeah. If you yeah. acted I mean, like that. That, like, so that shouldn't be pointed to praise in a praiseworthy fashion. We yeah. shouldn't whisper to our sons, oh, you can be like him. We shouldn't tell us, oh, you can marry him or what have right. you. We, we, we need to take this thing by the reins yeah. and realize, okay, we live in this time and we live in this place, but these values and these ways of being actually, we're not going to be hypercritical, but we're not going to be, um, say, other than the truth. They actually are not beneficial to us and our families mm -hmm. and, to our, our, and to our civilization into our community, and we need to create alternatives. It's not just criticizing, shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this, what happened? What are you going to create? Muslims yeah. came into areas of Byzantine control and Persian control and Berber areas and where there are rich societies. They didn't say, all right, we want to burn everything down and we want to recreate everything based upon our idealized idea of where, no, no. some things need to be kept and, mm -hmm. and they're good and they need to be expanded. Other things need to be discontinued. Other things need to be changed and reformed. Interacting with what exists and dealing with it in a wise and sagacious and, and meaningful manner, using the ilm that Allah Azrael gives you that comes primarily from reflection with the aql on the wahi, that's the path of our aslaf. Yeah. And that's what needs to be done now. But you have to call some things, call spade a spade. Riba mm -hmm. is societally deadly. We need to come up with alternatives. And if the alternatives that are created, as people are in the process of trying to create alternative practice, what have you, don't perfectly mesh with what we would have created if we were creating de novo from scratch, mm -hmm. that's consistent with Phil. Yeah. <laughs> the Fukaha deal with things as they are. Yeah. Not in some in idealized uh, state. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? And yeah. as Sofiana Thauri is um is reported to have said you know uh you know every single person would be alim can tell you that this is haram and this is haram what have you the qayas the 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 insightful faqih is the one who finds a way for you to do mm -hmm. what can be done within the bounds of the sharia it makes things easy for people okay now uh, 
I want to uh, bring up something. It might be a can of worms, but I, we got maybe three minutes to cover something in terms of you had said usury and not interest. What is your take? What have what do you know about and what is the opinion on those who are uh, bringing forth a thesis that the money that we have today is fluctuating in its value and that interest is merely <coughs> to match that fluctuation? Yeah, this is not a position of the Fokaha. This is, yeah. I mean, we have to be right. This is three, 250, 300 years mm -hmm. of uh, imperial encounter mm -hmm. with uh, Europe. This is not, we're not coming out of nowhere, mm -hmm. right? It, uh, the way Fiqh works among the Ahlus and Jama'ah is not you find something that this person or that person says that may be a Fiqh, may not be a Fiqh, yeah. and it's a Zilla, what have you. The, the thing that's adopted, the Mu'atamad, mm -hmm. among the Fuqaha of the Deen, mm -hmm. from their very first encounter with Venetian bankers, what have you, mm. what have you is that the interest-bearing loan is prohibited. It's Regardless of how it's uh, put forth as just balancing out the Fluctuate, uh, fluctuations in, in, in purchasing power are known mm -hmm. for gold and silver. They're known for copper, fills, mm -hmm. what have you. It's known. Mm -hmm. Okay. Whether it's man-made or not, doesn't matter. <laughs> yes, there's a discussion among some of the Fukaha mm -hmm. as to whether or not so-called fiat currency, whether the Ahkam or Riba apply in the same way, what have you. Those are interesting discussions and as soon as I felt we should talk about them. Yeah. Right. The fatwa and the position of the imams and the fuqaha of this ummah mm -hmm. across the madhahib, right? From the 17th century, 16th century encounters uh, with the uh, Europeans in a major way to our time, is that interest-bearing loans are impermissible. And that's consistent with what it was for gold or silver. Good. Fluctuation in purchasing power is not a new phenomenon. It's mm -hmm. something that's known, what have you. The fact that, yes, if you allow gold or silver or fiat currency to sit under your bed for 5, 10, 15, 20 years that it doesn't purchase as much in the future, maybe, as it does now. That's nothing new. It's not mustajad. That's a known issue, which is why the Sharia doesn't encourage that and in some situations prohibits it. It's prohibited mm. for the wali of an orphan to allow his like wealth that. to set and just lose value or uh, just have zakat for those who hold the zakat is due on it. Mm -hmm. As for the jamhur, and and for it just to be eaten, and not to engage in a way that's balanced between safety, meaning conservative investment, but also has its growth, what have mm -hmm. you. It's these are things that are known. Yeah. Ninety-nine times out of a hundred, when a person thinks that a matter is mustajad and it, and is and is nothing inside <laughs> of the what have you, and this and therefore he can go wherever he wants. Yeah, which almost always turns out to, to go in the same direction that the is the prevailing um, uh, um, uh, mode of thought among the kafar. May Allah save us. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure that's just coincidental, but <laughs> 99 times out of uh, 100, that's not the case. Yeah, Subhanallah. I mean, and realize yeah. that do more, do more mm -hmm. Have more respect for the intellectual heft associated with what, by any objective um, uh, assessment. The, the Islamic intellectual tradition mm -hmm. is one of the great intellectual traditions of humanity. Mm -hmm. People should just be more humble and realize that when you find the fuqah, particularly over time, telling you something. There's a reason. There's a reason for yeah. that. And you're saying uh, that, hold on a second, gold and silver can fluctuate, right? 
I mean, that pretty much ends the discussion right there. And then whether that because their their argument that oh the uh, rate yes. is is man decided by the federal bank or, or the federal reserve. Sorry, the rate of but that's not the only reason that the value of the dollar goes up and down, right? So it's not just purely a man-made scheme, right? No. Yeah. No, cer certainly the um, ability of uh, um, uh, um, monetary funds, central banks to manipulate um, uh, uh, currencies adds a different additional complexity mm -hmm. to the questions at large. But the core question is, is it prohibited to engage in interest-bearing loans because the fiat currency is subject to loss of purchasing power and therefore the person who holds it is norm and therefore it's prohibited for them to do that? No, it's not. Yeah. Because similar phenomena are known to attend to the Zahab al Fidda, and it's not allowed. I got you. Right. Rather, if they want you, if you want to hedge against the effect of currency risk, there are multiple Sharia compliant ways associated with it. Mm -hmm. Not the least of which, not to oversimplify the matter, is to engage in parallel investments. Mm -hmm. Will that put your money at risk? Yes. But putting your money at risk potentially allows for the Ujara and for others to get access to it. Yeah. It means that it's less likely to stay with you. And there's a benefit associated with that as well. Yeah. Okay. Good. I just wanted to uh, get a get the clear a clear statement on that, and we did. Alhamdulillah. And it was pretty. The analogy, like you said, is maqul al-ma'na, and what's maqul al-ma'na meaning that our intellects can attain to why a certain ruling is in muamalat in matters of interaction, and that mustajaddat is the word that you use, which means new matters, and that many times people imagine that a new matter. Uh, something is new, 99% of the time it's actually not new, and the, the essence of the issue is found somewhere else, and the essence of the issue of the uh, gold or silver fluctuating in its amount, it's also, it, it's been there. And so this concept that because the Federal Reserve is uh, raising the interest rates or, or the fluctuation rates or the uh, or rate of the, uh, the value of uh, the dollar up and down uh, should not will not be a factor to make permissible uh, taking an interest-bearing. The American dollar, the European euro, uh, um, a future basket coming out of uh, China, which is a basket yeah. of American euro, what have you, and, mm -hmm. and, and other fiat currencies, even as they are disconnected from gold or silver or underlying commodity, they, they play the role of the in our in our lives. Yes, and in any practical, um, yeah. cert, uh, uh, practical purposes, the dollar is your gold and silver, mm -hmm. right? Today, so it's not; it doesn't make a difference. It, you know, as a measure of value, in order to procure things that otherwise they couldn't get from the person, because yeah. the person is willing to accept it in return for services and in return for goods. Okay, it's right? very simple. It, yeah. It's money. Yeah. So a person who should treat it accordingly. Mm -hmm. This is the way he would treat money. It should be exchanged, spot basically, mm -hmm. and in equal amounts, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. And if there's going to be a dissimilarity associated with an, uh, an exchange in a bilateral transaction, it needs to be associated with the corresponding baman, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It needs to be some rudely some 
at least potential risk associated with its appreciation, mm -hmm. analogous to something like the appreciation that might that an animal that yeah. a grazing animal might uh, hurt hurt animals like go by virtue of the fact that they grow naturally. Yeah. Or by virtue of the fact that it was put to some productive activity, which generates more wealth and that else is added to the base amount mm -hmm. accordingly. But just receiving an exchange for the money as a service for procuring the money, which means essentially selling the money itself, mm -hmm. it's not permitted to sell gold and silver for gold and silver, yeah. meaning in addition to the base amount, similarly is not permitted to sell U.S. dollars, mm -hmm. European euro, other fiat currencies, or to rent it in return for more. More of the same. The yeah. loan of principal no, no. with stipulated repayment or customarily accepted repayment in excess mm -hmm. of the loan principal. That's the safe way to say, to put it safe as mildly. That's yeah. the reasonable way to deal with the issue. Yeah. Uh, minoritarian discussions, even within uh, um, uh, uh, our mother hub, uh, notwithstanding. Those are intellectual discussions. It's hard to find any faqih who ever of note, whoever gave a fatwa for it. And if, if even if he did or under pressure or what have you, et cetera, et cetera, the, the weight of the opinion of the fuqaha is such a that can't be considered to be an individual uh, opinion that has weight and, and constitutes ikhtilaf. It's a villa. I mean, it's a zilla. It's a misstep that only follies associated with following it individually, not to mention communally or, yeah. or, or collectively. Which means the summary is not all opinions are the same. One yeah. opinion from one individual is subjective to so much bias, so much vulnerability, uh, biases, limitations, etc. Whereas the opinion of generations is immune to that bias. And Alhamdulillah, bias, the ulama is, is the requirement of ulama to, to, to make that clear. Mm -hmm at the time of the contemporaries. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of my known, known for, you know, going at each other, alhamdulillah, and that needs to be reined in. Yeah. So it's done, uh, but it's different between saying, I disagree with your opinion mm -hmm. and saying this opinion is a mistake. It's I not see. permitted for an, some other person to follow it. Yeah. Or people from his same institution or your other institution uh, of the ulama, for example, Azhar is saying, you know, you may hold this position or that position, but all the Azhar yeah. hold that this is not the case with regard to this, that, the other, what have you. In yeah. that case, it's a zilla. Yeah. And and we have a methodology with regard to uh, the zilla of the ulama, right? They're not to be implemented. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean the person is our, 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 our respect for the person mm -hmm. is less wide, but on this matter, it can't be followed. Yeah. Which doesn't necessarily necessitate his entire body of scholarship because he yeah, might be yeah. upon the Mashur and the others. Of course. Well, thank you so much. There was the critique of socialism, but I realized that you you already did talk about this impermissibility and this not or this not being a goal of the Sharia to take everyone's wealth, melt it down, divide it up equally. Uh, so we did discuss that, and that was basically the summary of the socialist uh, uh, doctrine on ownership and on uh, distribution. And so we don't need to rehash that. And uh, we've taken you up now for near almost two hours now, uh, a little bit more, but this was a meaty topic. People had wanted a uh, part two, and this was the part two on wealth distribution. And I think people love the topic. So we may eventually do it again uh, until we cover all of its bases. So Jazakallah khairan, Sheikh Taha. Naz, if you're still with us, there's anything, uh, closing statements that you'd like to make? 
Uh, Nashik, I think uh, both of you have covered uh, the topic uh, Alhamdulillah. thoroughly. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, very, very well, uh, very well covered, uh, Sheikh. Uh, really appreciate your time. Uh, please make dua for us. And if you have any other, if you don't have any other closing statements to make, then we could. I don't know. I've, I've spoken too much as it is. Not at all. It's beautiful. I'll award you and uh, the brothers for that. I mean, I mean, Subhan Jazakallah Khairan, Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. نشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته